Hello, everybody. Dave here. And before we get to the episode, just a few little housekeeping things. We have the end of the year coming up, and that means it's game of the year season. So next week, be on the lookout for the best games from 2023 that I played, at least. And over on Patreon, we will have the best non-2023 games. So if you want to hear that and support people named Dave, you can go to patreon.com slash Jackson, like these wonderful folks. Chris Nelson, the top three podcast crew. Zul Geek, Chris Copleen, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Ficori, Jill, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, aka Stormageddon, JD, Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, Rob Shack, Brian Skersha, Randall, Jake Martin, Jenny E., and we're welcoming a new patron, Cade. Cade, welcome to the VIP, my friend. If you'd like to be like these fine folks and many, many more, you can head again to patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Any and all support is always appreciated. And with that being said, let's blitz. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to bring a game out of the backlog, play it, and discuss. I've got two wonderful guests with me today. Both are Blitzball superstars and hosts of the Lightning Strikes Thrice podcast, Ryan Beatty and Chris Taylor. Welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having us. This is uh, not Ryan's first time on the show. Ryan was a guest on, uh, we talked about Tunic before, and we did that wonderful discussion about whether video games need to be fun. And this is Chris's first time on the show, and what a game for both of them to come on. Today we're talking about Final Fantasy X, which is an RPG developed and published by Square for the PS2 in 2001, and has since been remastered and released on pretty much everything since then. This is the fifth Final Fantasy game to be featured on the show, alongside Final Fantasy VI, IX, XVI, and the GOAT, Stranger of Paradise, Final (laughs) Fantasy Origin. Noted game of the year, Stranger of Paradise. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The game of the year every year. That's one of those, uh, like, what did it come out in 2021? It's the uh, game of the year every year since 2021. Mm Mm-hmm. I dubstep drop at the end of the battle music, and that game is really good. <laughs> the, every, I think most things about that game are really good, unironically. Great game. Um, if you are listening and you've not played Final Fantasy X, the spoiler policy is the same as every episode of the show. We're not going to spoil the story for you. We're not going to talk shop too much in the non-spoiler section. There is a timestamp down in the show notes for when the spoiler wall in this episode is So if you want to get out and avoid the spoilers, that will be the time to do so. So we have some elevator pitches for Final Fantasy X to uh, try to set this up. I say that this is is turn-based combat so good that the Final Fantasy franchise decided to stop doing it entirely. And it also has a really cohesive and creative story. Ryan, what would you say? Uh, Mine's real simple. Uh, Would you like to play the most holistically complete jrpg hell yeah and chris 
What if I told you they could spend 30 hours participating in an elaborate trolley problem? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got all, all kinds of pitches for all different kinds of buyers uh, up here at the top of the show. Um, how long to play Final Fantasy X? Uh, this is not my first time playing it, so keep that in mind with my playtime. I played this on Switch with the uh, the remaster. It took me 35 hours this most recent time. I did not do a whole lot of side content this time. Kind of been there, done that. How about you all? How long would you say a playthrough takes you, the way you play? So the first time I played this, I was really obsessed with doing all of the side content. And I learned that the original PS2 time counter, I don't know about the remasters, but the original PS2 time counter uh, stops at 99 hours, 99 minutes, 99 seconds. (laughs) Um, but if, if you do a, a main plus some extras, it would probably be about 45 ish hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Or you could spend like 350, 400 hours. Easy. Mm-hmm. Easy. Got to get them stats up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're the type to uh, max out the sphere grid for every character, do all those arena monster fights and all that stuff. The best part is you don't you don't even max out the sphere grid because what you do is you just teleport everyone to the same place and delete about 150 nodes and then just replace <laughs> them with plus fours. Mm. Don't even bother to go around. Going around, chump shit. Shit, this is advanced <laughs> uh, sphere grid technique here on Tales from the Backlog tonight. Um, let's uh, get the show started with our histories with the Final Fantasy series and this game in particular. Now, Ryan and Chris are the hosts of a dedicated JRPG podcast, so I have a feeling that y'all have some history with the Final Fantasy franchise, so I will kick it to you. Chris, how about you? Give me Never your... heard of it. <laughs> All right, moving on. Ryan, now, Chris, give us your, uh, your history with Final Fantasy and this game in particular. Final Fantasy, I've played... Played all of them? Uh... Learned to read playing a bunch of JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, Final Fantasy X, I got for like my 13th birthday party. It's good stuff. Yeah. We had a um, short lived newsletter for the Pitch Drop Network that Lightning Strikes Rice is on, and I got to edit a really great piece from Chris about Final Fantasy X. So. That's great. I don't know if there's a pub. Oh, right. Yeah. You can subscribe to our Patreon, uh, pitchdrop.cash, if you want to read that and, mm-hmm. and learn more. It's good. Um, however, yeah. Th- so PlayStation 2, uh, when that came out, I was 14 years old. I bought it with my own money, uh, which was a really big deal because, like, you know, doing lawn mowing and like weird side jobs when you're not of legal age to actually have a job job and 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 saving up five hundred plus dollars uh, took several years. Basically, from the second that the Japanese PS2 was announced, I was like, okay, this is going to be my first purchase of this magnitude and Mm. my parents were very dismayed they were like oh my god ryan's finally saving money but oh no they're saving it to spend on a luxury item fuck (laughs) and so final fantasy 10 was a launch game for me and um 
I like wanted to like it more than I actually liked it for for a lot of like I would say the first half of the game because like the voice acting was very jarring and um the characters were not nearly as angsty as I wanted for you know being a 14 year old really into new metal and sad things um and then when some of the things that we're going to probably elaborate on more in the spoiler wall, when kind of the dominoes started falling, I was like, oh my, oh my God, oh my God. And I was just totally ensorcelled to the point where I wanted to 100% it my first time through. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, so I've like played it a, a second or third time kind of over the course of my life. I made it about two thirds, three quarters of the way through it this time and then kind of like read up on what happens and watch some videos so I can like talk, you know, knowledgeably as a 37 year old about the ending stuff. But but yeah, it was um, replaying it for for this show revealed a lot more that I that I really missed. So I was really, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and finish it, even though, you know, it's no longer assignment play at this point. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Play, played it like 30 times easy. Cause I'm a sad <laughs> guy. And this is my depression video game. I'll tell you, mm. Final Fantasy 10 got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a lot going on. Um, for me personally, uh, this was not my first final fantasy game it was my second. My first one was final fantasy six on the game boy advance. And uh, I didn't have a PS2, actually have still never owned one, probably never will at this point, I think it's safe to say. Uh, But my roommate in college did have a PS2. And I watched him play Final Fantasy X. And like, there was something about it where like, at the time, I was like, this is the best looking game I've ever seen. So I wanted to play it. And it it just became like, okay, I'm starting up a new file when he's in class, I'm going to play Final Fantasy X. And maybe I'll go to class sometime else i'm not sure but uh i played it then never beat it i uh, <laughs> played it a couple years later never beat it i picked up the switch remaster in like 2020 or so i finally finished the game um i loved it the times that i never beat it i got like 80 percent of the way through but just kind of oh. fell off for whatever reason and i uh, replayed it again to get ready for this episode beat it again this time still had a great time with it um to get into some kind of opening thoughts here at the top of the episode uh, this this is kind of unlike a lot of games on the show where, where I'm playing them for the first time. And so, you know, all the surprises that the games have for me, um, I'm I'm there for them. Final Fantasy X has no more surprises for me at this point. That doesn't really matter because everything I love about it is still there. Um, and knowing like the big plot moments and knowing how to fight all the bosses and stuff, uh, let me appreciate a lot of those like smaller moments this time around. So had a great time playing it again. And again, I especially after talking about Final Fantasy 16, like a month ago on the show, I really think Final Fantasy 10 should get more credit for telling a cohesive story that doesn't overextend itself the way that so many stories in the genre and in this specific series tend to do. Yeah, they did it well enough that they are were recently like, hey, we're thinking about maybe one day we'll make a third one of these. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like 50 and like hanging out with Tita still somehow. Yeah. God. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm similar. Like I, I, I know so many of the broad beats, but, but like you, Dave, I, I was really 
taken with a lot of the smaller moments and details and stuff that's like oh wow they actually thought of that oh wow that's in there and um it yeah it was it was a genuine surprise how how much that really like colored my view of final fantasy 10 because you know when it was in nebulous memories it's a lot of the big moments a lot of the big fights and then i was and then and then this time it was just like oh there's there is so much little detail and so many things that like speak to each other and fold back in on each other and and it was like really it might be the most mature final fantasy story which is funny because it contains some of the least mature characters but (laughs) also if you are a fan of like this style of game it's still just fun to play like it's Mm -hmm. it's still just a good game and like there's a lot in it because it's to me the definite the the big defining feature is like as a game where nobody said no ever and if somebody said hey i have a cool idea for something we could put in the game like absolutely stick it in there whatever (laughs) titus you want titus to have like 30 unique lines for when he uses flea go for it (laughs) uh Oh, and uh, I guess another thing we can just kind of mention at the top, not that it really affects this game a whole lot, but have both of you played 10-2? Yes. Yes. Okay. I have not. And uh, part of the reason I wanted to play 10 again is because I'm planning on playing 10-2 uh, soon-ish for the first time. Looking forward to that. Enjoy enjoy that. It's uh starts the trend of all of the sequels being some of the best games in the series that nobody has played. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I we're we're both really big Ten Two fans here. Hell yeah! Um, so we are going to take a little music break. When we come back, we're going to set up the story of Final Fantasy Ten. The game opens in the high-tech city of Xanarkand, where the player protagonist uh, canon name is Titus. Uh, I always pronounced it Titus because uh, of the water uh, theming of the game. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. Why? Why would they not do it? But and then they uh, then they made Kingdom Hearts and ruined it. This was because I played this when I was already a proto weeb who had been like forged in the fires of the Eris Aerith debate. I knew how Ooh. Japanese vowels worked. <laughs> And so I knew that it couldn't be Titus. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that I agree. I agree. Titus makes all the sense in the world as, as a name. But yep. I, I've been a long time Titus head. Yep. It's uh, it's it's unfortunate learning that I was wrong the entire time. But hey, <laughs> I, I'm an adult. Uh, so Titus is a professional athlete in the uh, world uh, of the game. There is a sport called Blitzball that we'll talk about later. But the opening part of the game is Titus kind of getting ready for a game, playing in the game of Blitzball. And then a giant kaiju attacks Xanarkand. Its name is Sin. And Titus is transported into the far future, 
where uh, people have heard of Xanarkand, but they know it as something that uh, was destroyed a long time ago. So the story is mostly told in these like present day events in the future, but also with Titus's narration as he kind of reflects on uh, the journey here. So let's uh, let's just talk about Titus for a second as a Final Fantasy protagonist. How do you all feel about Titus? How do you all feel about this kind of world setup here? I love him. He very pointedly is a departure from previous Final Fantasy protagonists, at least, you know, from like four on um, five. The characters aren't really characters, uh, but like he is like plucky and positive and a himbo and he hates his dad because his dad's an asshole. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and him being this guy who has a lot of anger and darkness but like continually keeps a sunny disposition and just like tries to make everyone laugh it tries to make everyone smile um it's it's funny looking back that that made him harder to relate to as a teenager but as an adult i see his good heart and i see him like struggling between his inner turmoil and his external turmoil and and just and 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 also he's a jock you know and and final Mm -hmm. fantasy has not had jocks before um i mean like i guess steiner is like a like an old-timey 1950s bodybuilder but besides him, right. no he's a he's, <laughs> he's a he's a cop you're not a yeah. jock because you're in the army or whatever come on <laughs> that's fair that's fair but yeah so so yeah titus is is the first final fantasy jock and so he's he's so different that i find him to be a really good breath of fresh air and he's also a good point of view character because there is a reason besides amnesia that he is a fish out of water and that people have to explain the world to him. And Mm -hmm. that really went a long way for me. And he lives in a world worth explaining, which is 90% of the time, not the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Let's uh, kind of elaborate. I I agree. I I kind of like Titus. There's some scenes um, where, He's a little bit hard to uh, to to love, but I will take a Titus over a cloud type protagonist every day of the week because uh, I'm not a teenager and I don't identify with cloud as a person <laughs> anymore. So I find Titus is great. I find Titus deeply relatable as someone who is also very unlikable, but also <laughs> very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the the world that we're talking about here is uh, Spira, and it's a Pacific Island-inspired setting, as uh, all Final Fantasy games in the numbered series reinvent their settings and stuff. This one's pretty unique. And the thing about Spira is that Sin, that giant kaiju, kind of looks like a whale that we mentioned before, appears and continuously just destroys civilizations and kind of keeps people down, keeps them at a a primitive level of society and technology and things like that. And this cycle of destruction uh, wrought by sin is the basis of the religion in Spira, uh, which believes that sin's destruction is the atonement that people must pay for relying too much on technology in the past and to uh, shy away from using it too much. So, Chris, you said that this is a world worth explaining. I agree Mm -hmm. with you. I think the concept of, number one, of sin 
and number two, this kind of Pacific Island setting, but the formation of a dominant religion around a kaiju that repeatedly attacks you is really fucking cool. Yeah, and they hate the computer as much as we do, which I think is great. <laughs> Can relate, yeah. Yeah, when I called Final Fantasy X the most like holistically complete JRPG, a lot of what I meant was that it felt like every piece of the world they built and the character's place in that world was considered you know a lot of and i we're gonna get into this in just a second but like a lot of jrpgs have religion and and god as Mm -hmm. you know uh, overarching world things a lot of jrpgs have a bunch of you know, a, a a party who has who needs to travel across the world and do little odd jobs for different people in towns as they go. But this one, it's like it feels like they went, okay, so why would God and religion be such an overarching like thing? What would that God and religion, how would that God and religion shape society? Uh, the, the party members have a reason to visit all of these towns. Like it just, it, it, it feels like everything about the world is considered. And it's like really, aesthetically cohesive in a way that is not true for like most of the final fantasy games in general right like you have there are some standout areas and they stand out as very different mostly for narrative reasons but like there's this this aesthetic consistency across the world and the type of cultures that people have there and then they all also have their own minor riff on it, but it still kind of like fits into that like global culture in a way that's really interesting. Yeah. And you have like a really, uh, what's the word? Like you have a good reason to visit all of those uh, different places rather than just kind of like taking a tour through, you know, well, we we're done with this area. So now we're going to go to the desert area and then, well, we, we, got to the edge of the desert area so now we're in the jungle area it's not quite like a an amusement park ride like your characters have a reason to go from place to place the reason is that uh one of your party characters a secondary protagonist someone say the main protagonist i'm not quite sure i didn't think about it too much yuna is uh, what's called a summoner and she is on a pilgrimage to go to these towns and visit these temples to gather power uh, to gather the classic Final Fantasy summons, the Aeons that they're called in this game, to hopefully one day get the final Aeon and defeat Sin. That is her purpose, and that is the purpose of everyone else in the party. They're her guardians, so they're just there to protect her, basically. So what you're doing in the game is you're going from town to town following this pilgrimage that Yuna is on, and hijinks ensue along the way, but that's basically how it's set up and like narratively you don't need all these guys what you're really doing right is like you're hanging out and protecting you know while she does like stations of the cross to be like spiritually ready which is cool Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the cool thing about this and ryan kind of touched on it is that while so many final fantasy games so many jrpgs use religious iconography or symbolism and stuff like that but they're not ultimately games about that stuff they're just there for theming and things like that. This is ultimately a game about a religion. And I think that's really cool. It's like the central thing that ties together everything that you're doing in this game is 
this religion, how people are dealing with it, how devout some of your characters are, how they handle the things that you're doing. It's really cool. Yeah, it, there, you've, there is a reason that you might want to kill God <laughs> instead, exactly. of just, instead of just God popping up and being like, ha ha ha, I've been controlling things. Exactly. Um, some of those other guardians in the party are uh, worth talking about, uh, at least touching on some of our favorites here. Uh, you meet all of your party characters relatively early in this game. You're not really picking up party characters in the last like five hours of this game. Uh, so you meet your party characters, Waka, Aran, Lulu, Kamari, and Riku. Uh, Waka is another Blitzball player. Aran is a uh, a dude with a big moonshine jug and a giant sword and a, a limp arm for some reason, or at least he pretends. Uh, Lulu is a, um, use the scientific term, a big titty goth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kamari is uh, an animal. Uh, I struggle to describe what Kamari looks like in real animal terms. Uh, and manimal, Riku, please. A manimal. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, and Riku is, uh, she is a member of this other uh, race called the Albed who use a bunch of technology and Waka fucking hates the Albed. Yeah, I'll try my hand at Kamari. Um, he's a blue lion with horns, or at least his race has horns and his have gotten cut off. Right. Imagine if it didn't, though, and trying to take Kamari seriously with, like, the full... Because Kamari's got, like, a cool horn that looks like it curves a little bit, and you're like, that's gonna be sick. And <laughs> then you see some other guys, and they just have enormous unicorn horns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the iconic summoner hat. And I'm like, I'm really glad that, Kamari, I'm sorry that this this was bad for you, but I'm glad you don't have a horn like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do we think about these... Um supporting characters in here because these are the people you meet them very early in the game and you are with them for the entire game so you you really get to know all of these characters pretty well how i feel about them is complicated because i like them all in the context of this game because um they each have their own shit that they're dealing with and you know own personal like uh, demons to overcome and they also have interpersonal conflict within the party for good reasons that once again tie back into the world i will say i've got two kind of like boiler you know like like high level things about two specific characters the 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 first is that um auron i've been poisoned a little bit since following since digesting berserk after final fantasy 10 mm. and oran is like literally just guts from berserk plus wandering drunken master from uh-huh. <laughs> uh from you know other various japanese media he's those two things put together and then they give him the personality of an aloof asshole um mm-hmm. waka is really interesting because Number one, he is uh he's voiced by John DiMaggio, and so you can if you know that, you can hear both Bender from Futurama and uh Jake from Adventure Time in mm-hmm. Waka now. But also Waka's racism makes me hate him so much more now than I did when I was a teenager first digesting it. And I have a hot take that Final Fantasy being released in the U.S. after 9-11 uh, might have made some of his, like, weird, like, very specifically, like, anti-Middle Eastern racism, because the Albed are, are, are Middle Eastern coded, um, like, 
not feel as horrific to a 14 year old who had just kind of like lived through 9-11 it you know Mm. that that's on that's on teenage me for not realizing how fucked up that was but (laughs) but but i don't think that square intended for his racism to hit as horrendously as it ended up hitting for me this time yeah it does but I think it does combine with the other ways because Waka is also like the most religious person you hang out with, mm-hmm. like more than Yuna, like Waka does like winds up embodying like a more modern type of guy, which is like the low information conservative media consumer is like Waka's vibe now. Yeah. So like Waka is a super racist, but he does just morph into a different kind of guy and he fits like really well in that role and that role fits really well in the kind of story they're trying to tell anyway. Mm. Mm. Because like I think a big a big thing I like here that they don't necessarily hit on is all of your characters are have various relationships with religion or the way that religion touches the world and they mm-hmm. all like None of them are really in it, except for Yuna, which is why she's like the big protagonist. And the way they face in at it and all these different facets is like really interesting. So like, it's I think it's good that there's that kind of guy there, but it is kind of bad when he talks a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he it does. He makes really dumb noises. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, I don't know, every third time he opens his mouth from like maybe like the 10 hour point of the game that he's saying something racist, especially because you have an Albed in your party. And Mm -hmm. he's just, even when faced with overwhelming information that the Albed are not evil, he's just like, nope, fucking hate him. Yeah. Has the word shifty ever been used and have it not in a non racist context? Because Waka (laughs) says shifty a bunch of times. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I realized we, uh, we didn't, really talk much on yuna uh we just brought her up as kind of the person who's actually in the religion she's the one doing this stuff so as kind of a, a secondary or like co-protagonist here how do we feel about yuna as a character she is not very good to me so i appreciated her more this time around because i feel like the game does a good job of portraying like the weight of expectation and responsibility that are on her shoulders. Um, and you can see why people would want to rally around her to protect her on her pilgrimage. But I do kind of feel like beyond those two things, she's the most generic of all of the characters or or yeah yeah she's a good she's good she's a good person but not a good plot actor when it comes to like being a character you know what i mean like she's like a well-sketched human being yeah throughout the course of the game but not interesting as like a mover and shaker in the same way the rest of your party can be yeah she's very kind of a uh, matter of fact about what she's doing and things that you learn about her pilgrimage and the um like you said the weight of expectations but also like how she knows things are going to go lends her i think a, a bit of quiet confidence and um kind of acceptance that I think is really good but as a she doesn't like really grow as a character she starts out quiet and confident and she ends pretty quiet and confident 
um, just kind of matter of fact along the way. Yeah, your perception of her grows in the way that her character would. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the more you learn about her and what she's going through, that grows for sure. I've always had a soft spot for Yuna, regardless of all of that. Um, I don't know, just always liked her character. I I have heard criticisms of her voice acting. I always liked her voice actor too. Just, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I eventually, not, you know, in the appropriate section, I want to camp out on the voice acting a little bit because it's very divisive. Uh, but it oh, we in, can go on it now if you want to. I do want to make a brief point about Riku first, which is okay. that you would expect the uh, big titty goth girl of Lula to be the Lulu, not the Brazilian prime minister uh, or president. <laughs> going to look up some pictures later. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you would expect her to have the most kind of horny fan service. But Riku actually like when you get the character introduction scene to Riku, when mm. she finally fully joins your party, She's taking off her wetsuit and the camera really leers at her in a way mm. that really messed me up. I was just like, oh, wow, this is extremely horny. Yep. Um, but, you know, she's just kind of like she's plucky. And also she provides a window into the Albed culture, uh, which is which is very um, welcome in in this game. Um yeah, if we want to talk about the voice acting and voice direction now, like it is very idiosyncratic. It doesn't sound like a modern voice acted game. And also it is hamstrung by them needing to either stretch or fit certain voiced lines into the uh, length of time that the Japanese cutscene took. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that definitely creates some awkward moments, but once you get used to its rhythms, it's still pretty affecting, like, yeah. like a lot of the performances still really tugged at my heartstrings. It just, it just takes a little bit to get acclimated. I think, I think Yuna is like the biggest victim of that. Mm-hmm. Like the need to stretch, like really affects like the pacing of a lot of her lines. But like beyond that, I think it's like the voice acting is like really fine like you don't notice it beyond like the first couple of hours i don't think no i I think it's pretty good and keeping in mind that this game came out in 2001 uh for the time that it came out even better in my estimation it doesn't have the same it's not final fantasy 16's voice acting but like again the year 2001 and those uh constraints that you mentioned of needing to like i was reading about this the other day of like they have a japanese voiced line that's like 3.5 seconds long. And they're like, you need to make a voice line in English that conveys the same information, same emotion and all of that in 3.5 seconds, not four seconds or else the game will crash. Like literal, literal mm. information from the uh, the developer that or the localizer that worked on that. So extreme um, pressure on them to, uh, to fit that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we can also address the elephant in the room with the voice acting, which is the laughing scene that even <laughs> if you haven't played Final Fantasy X, uh, you're surely familiar with the scene where Titus uh, scream laughs and uh, Yuna follows. I think this scene's overblown, especially by people who haven't played Final Fantasy X. You might look at that scene and go, what the fuck is that? But in the context of the story, I think it fits and I think it's good. It is a good scene because... At the time, 
that that scene takes place, they have no reason to be laughing in it. It's like, I forget which one of you said it, but it's Tita's trying to cheer people up, uh, being a, you know, outgoing weirdo like he yeah, he's is. a fucking clown. Yeah. yeah. This scene is really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, it, I mean, yeah, we're, I'm not going to spoil, but like it happens after some fucked up shit happens. Like, mm-hmm. like they're really dealing with some, some, like some heavy stuff and it's Yuna that suggests laughing because because like Titus is like, ah, I just want to I I don't know what to do with all this emotion. And she's like, just try laughing. He's like, what the hell? Do you, what what are you talking about? She's like, no, <laughs> just try it. And he starts and, you know, um, the there's a little behind the scenes lore nugget where the um, script writer in the original Japanese got this idea from an acting class or improv class that he took where they would like do warm-ups where they would all do these really awkward, uncomfortable laughs and it loosened them up to like keep doing the rest of the scene. And I love that. And also uh like it is just as awkward and uncomfortable in Japanese. It 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 you know <laughs> the ha 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 has a different tone and tenor, but it still is a weird scene. So yeah, I love this scene honestly. Yeah, everyone you hang out with is a bunch of weirdos. It's great that they do this together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the group does have a really great dynamic together as a group. I think like there are some scenes late in the game where like some heavy shits going on, and they are hanging out together as a group and you can I think you can feel the chemistry between them. Sometimes Titus feels like the odd man out in that, but he is also from literal thousands of years uh in the past. So give him a little bit of a break for that. But I, I do think that the group works together really well. And I think that the pairing of Titus and Yuna um is a fairly good video game like growing romance that you you can tell from you know, the first hour that they're together, that that's where this is headed. Yeah, there's you can see why they might like each other instead of just plot reasons for them to have to like each other. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're the really good reason for them to like each other is like spoiler wall stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's uh, let's talk about those other kind of aesthetic things about Final Fantasy X, the music and uh, the way the game looks. Let's uh, let's talk about the visuals first. Um, like I said, at the time when I played this on PS2, this was like the best game, best looking game I had ever seen. Uh, I think the remaster. I don't like the way that they smoothed things out in the remaster, especially the faces. The faces looked better on the PS2, which is mm-hmm. something I would never say for most games 
I don't like the remaster very much. Like, there's a lot of new music in it that I also do not like. Mm. Yeah, I'm really happy that the that the remaster has the option to switch back to the original arrangement of the music. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of, you know, folding back into what both of you have mentioned and talked about, um, the thing that surprised me the most about the visuals is that they are all informed by the world that they're trying to build. So, you know, it what uh, they took inspiration from Pacific Island cultures and specifically uh, Okinawa, um, which has some like, uh, you know, messy colonial history with uh, regarding uh, the, and exoticism with regarding the way that Japan sometimes treats Okinawan culture in, in their art. But like, you know like the vistas and the characters and and like everything every little visual touch in the game is like oh no we want this to exist in a world and it makes it even though it's ps2 graphic graphics it makes it feel complete and 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 not like just like a series of interesting looking areas the one visual crime that final fantasy 10 commits is like searing the idea that tribal tattoos are cool into square enix as a company (laughs) an idea they have never gotten rid of (laughs) Uh, overall i think um i i guess well no that's not i was about to say that this is the the beginning of excess accessories for final fantasy characters but they're on display in this like titus's costume design is uh is real fucking dumb. I, I think what are you it's talking real about? That's stupid. what plumbers look like. He was a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible uh, interview quote. Love to, uh, I, I love to play my underwater sport uh, with one full pant leg and one short pant leg. Yeah. Uh, really, really effective underwater. Well, the, 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 the long part is detachable. So, like, I guess they're doing the... the you, it's so you can change if you're buying or selling, you know? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but also, that just, like, like, the goofiest and most incongruous bit of Final Fantasy X's visuals is the fact that Blitzball is played fully clothed. Um, yes. Like, that will forever be silly to me, and I get that they would have to put new clothes on the models every time you transition to a blitzball scene and that would be a lot of work and a lot of new assets and all of that but everybody just like jumps in the water can breathe underwater forever and also like emerges and just is chill with wearing the same clothes that they were swimming in when they're outside and like the salt is like drying on their skin in weird ways and shit and like sand is probably stuck in places that you don't want sand stuck in and it's just do like nah this is salt what we water do. in there <laughs> not in not in, maybe not in the blitzball spheres but whenever anybody goes overboard you're out in the sea a lot yeah you're in the ocean a lot yeah you you do hang out in the ocean a lot <laughs> uh this is uh, keep, this is the same company that in the sequel has a an extremely pregnant character who doesn't look pregnant at all because they didn't want to make a new character model so true true yeah. oh my god also yeah speaking of <laughs> speaking of accessories Look, that's fine she can wear the same outfit you just gotta unbuckle some of them like a couple of pips you know right like, right that's what it's this is when the perfect people, pregnancy outfit <laughs> when, when when people clown on nomura and his love of belts it happened before final fantasy 10 but lulu's dress is literally made of belts it is and a rat cool. king of belts <laughs> it's cool it's cool to me that nomura is motivated out of spite <laughs> Because, like, the interview story is that some, that the people told him, hey, can you stop doing belts? They're really annoying to model and texture. And he was like, I'll show you, and then made an entire dress out of them, and that rocks to me. 
extremely Chris Taylor thing to do. Yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah. I guess speaking of Lulu, like Ryan, you kind of mentioned the uh, the male gaziness of Riku's uh, introduction scene, uh, but the 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 close ups, the way that Lulu, like the end of a battle, Lulu's end of battle animation is to mm. bend over, and her breasts are the only thing in the game that has jiggle physics, as mm-hmm. far as I can tell. Um, mm-hmm. It just just doesn't quite sit right with me. But at the end of the day. Uh, like I said, that is uh, who Lulu is. So I guess, I don't know. Her, she is a, like, if you talk to her in certain situations, you get a little background. And she is a, how do, how do I phrase this? She is a sexual character. Uh, but the, those uh, those little animations were like, oh, okay, that's, uh, that's they, they put real work into this, like this specific yeah. thing. Yeah, they are pendulous in in <laughs> the victory screen or the, the the victory animation. It is it is it is weird. It is it is a little bit just like oh okay, this is this is this is happening. But 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 yeah, they the way that they f- try to flesh it out in the character it herself does feel a little bit like a back backporting a justification for how sexily mm. they wanted to draw her and render her but like <sighs> it it's not hentai right like no, it, it's not it's, egregious it's, it's just yeah i noticed it you know one, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, two things two i was gonna say one but two objects in the game have jiggle physics and they they both belong to lulu yeah it is a thing and i did notice it and i did go like for sure <laughs> Also, so does the elephant. Now that I think about it, that okay. you cross the river on. Uh, okay. so, yeah, 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 I retract. Yeah. I retract also, everything I just said. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. You may decide to cut this. This is for Final Fantasy X two stuff. Good news. There's an entire continent of Lulus. No more. Yeah. It just has this entire continent of go- horny goth waifus. Because there's another one of these in the next one. Yeah, and they yeah. just are all from the same place. It rocks. Nice. And then he made a Final Fantasy XIV character, and I was like, this seems like an Obora character before I knew he did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is what we call world building. <laughs> Look, he just he just has a thing he likes and he goes for it and shouts out to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we can all aspire to just follow our passions the way he does. <laughs> um, talking about the music, I suppose, in Final Fantasy X, this is the first Final Fantasy game to not be solely composed by Nobuo Uematsu. They had collaborators Masashi Hamauzu and Junya Nakano uh, that were chosen because they had different styles from Uematsu. And uh, I think this really shows uh, this is one soundtrack in uh, the Final Fantasy games that I've played, at least, that does not feel super cohesive. You could pick me a random song from this game and I'd be like, I don't know, could be, a, could not be Final Fantasy at all. I have no fucking idea. But the really strong tracks, I think, are as strong as anything Uematsu ever did. Uh, there's just a bunch of stuff that really sticks out, I think, in a weird way. Well, there's like a training game for these other folks. There's like Hamazu's the 13 composer, and okay. um, what's-his-name goes on to do a lot of work in 11. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they're basically just training a bunch of people here. Gotcha. I will say, um, I I don't disagree that it that it's not necessarily cohesive, but it does have a couple of my favorite Final Fantasy songs. Um, and also, uh, even though Final Fantasy seven through nine had 
CD audio technology that they could have utilized, Uematsu was still composing in MIDI, and so there's still a lot of very digitized MIDI instruments, and so there the Summoner Temple song is a choral arrangement of a song and they're using actual recorded voices and it blew me away when i was a teenager i was just like i wish they had bullied him into that so much sooner because like (laughs) like that's like if you let play final fantasy 7 remake right you're like wow it was borderline a crime that they let uobatsu do this in midi yeah yeah (laughs) It, it it really like it that that moment in particular, that song in particular, really sticks with me because it is like hearing recorded voices instead of like is is it makes the emotion a lot more affecting. Yep, agreed. Yeah, like like you can't get like a Bethesda Island out of something like on the how they were composing on the PS One for sure. Right. Do we have any uh, tracks that we think are standouts that we want to give a uh, give a shout out to? I mean, I I don't want to steal yours, but um, the opening theme um, to Xanarkand, yeah, to Xanarkand yeah. is is way up there for me. Like the the Thunder Plains for sure, big mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. and the music for that and the remaster do not like in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the uh, the Chocobo Racing song is really good to me, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the big horns. There's yeah. a lot of really good music on the soundtrack, actually. And uh, Mount Gagaza also big standout. Mm-hmm. I think I have like a, a bit of a negative association with Mount Gagaza because I don't like what you're doing there uh, when you're there. But I died uh, two feet away from the same point at the end of Mount Gagaza and had to do the entirety <laughs> of the calm lines through Mount Gagaza again. Don't. Ooh. <laughs> um, I I agree. I think Tuzanarkand is the the standout. Um, I went to the Distant Worlds Final Fantasy concert about a month ago, and they played this, and it was fucking great uh, to have like a, a whole orchestra do it. Um, this is the piano piece that plays at the beginning uh, when you load up the title screen. Um, I think it's an all-timer of like an emotional Final Fantasy song because uh, it gets reused throughout the game, and you know, additional emotional weight gets added to it as you play through the story. Um, and then on the other side of the coin. You have Otherworld, which is the <laughs> metal song that plays during the opening cutscene uh, when they're playing uh, Blitzball and stuff. This was done by Uematsu's metal band called the Black Mages. I, as a metal song, I think it sucks. Yeah. But I, I love it for being so fucking cheesy and standing out so much from everything else in here. And it kind of feels like a heat check from Uematsu. He's like, this is number 10. Like, I'm killing it, right? I'm putting this metal song in the game. And it's very 2001 metal. Yes, like yes, it, yes. it sounds like it could be like a Mudvayne song. It, <laughs> it, um, it, it is corny. It's very funny that like Nobuo Uematsu, I really like a lot of the prog rock that he likes. You know, he, he, yeah. uh, references King Crimson and Emerson Lake and Palmer and Gentle Giant, but his, his metal tastes are very much not mine. And so when he goes, when he dips into metal, it's very corny. I'm glad he has an outlet for it. That's not the video games I like to play. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely put that song earlier in the episode when we kicked off the story setup. So people, even if you haven't played Final Fantasy X, you know what we're talking about. Um, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that one, the one that doesn't sound like anything else. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I can't help it. It's I have an 
like unironic love of cheesy, stupid metal. And even though I don't think, again, I think that if you took this out of this game and just like played it on the radio, I'd be like, no, not even that one. But in the context of this game, something about it, maybe just because I love this game. Not for me, even as a guy who had like a very protracted power metal phase. Not for me. <laughs> uh, I am the one who um, like just the other day I was driving home and I was like, I'm just going to put on the top 10 Creed songs on Spotify and just that's <laughs> going to listen to that on my drive home. I fucking love it. Something about it. Great. <laughs> So let's talk about the gameplay in Final Fantasy X. I said in the elevator pitch, this is the last true turn-based combat in the series. As far as I know, I didn't play the 13 sequels, but I assume they're not turn-based because 13 is no. not. So this is true turn-based. Also, it's not ATB like a lot of the games that preceded it. So you can sit and wait and think about the things that you want to do. And I think this is interesting because there are reasons why you would actually use strategy that's like the number one reason why i think this turn-based combat system is good Uh, it is because it is a turn-based system where you have a lot of strategic choices you can make the most important i think is that they show you the turn order on the side and you can do various things to manipulate the turn order Uh, you can slow enemies down you can speed yourself up and you know maybe you're going to take turns with the enemies Now, maybe you can get three or four straight attacks before they get to act at all. This is, I think, the basis of strategy in Final Fantasy X is manipulating this turn order in your favor. I think it rocks. There's nothing new about it because this is how all of their turn-based games have worked. It's just the fact that they say this, they just show it to you is the big innovation and that's all it took. Yeah. And um, some of my favorite combat systems that either came out contemporary with or right after final fantasy 10 specifically xenosaga and trails in the sky uh also do this turn manipulation thing but both of them have their own issues that final fantasy 10 doesn't really have um xenosaga it's just i mean we camped out for three whole seasons of lightning strikes thrice on the like cool things and failures of each individual combat system but mostly it's just that like combat is too slow paced and uh there are too many ways for the turn order to kind of get turbo fucked uh with so you can't like be a master manipulator of it whereas like if you have all the tools then you can just really abuse uh turn order in final fantasy 10 in ways that honestly make me wish that there was a hard mode for this game yeah um mm-hmm. yeah like you know some of the some of the bosses near the end game actually are pretty big challenges but um i do think that because 
manipulating the turn order is so fun. I wish that there is a version of the base game that challenged me to use it more. Well, the good news is that stuff does exist, but also you have to grind forever to do it because it lives in the monster arena. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But what I think is cool about this is that they lean into this by giving you uh, Tidus as your primary character. Like, mm -hmm. you start the game immediately ready to manipulate the turn order, and he's the POV character, so you're most of the time playing him also. And it's really good that if you're going to surface the way that your game has always worked and say, just lean into, like, the manipulation aspect of it, because, like, he's just a time mage, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I also, like, I my perspective's a little bit off because... This is the fourth like, fourth time I've played this. I said at the top of the show, like, I know how to beat all the bosses. I know all their tricks. The, the game doesn't really have much challenge left for me, uh, except the final boss, because I didn't do a lot of grinding before it. So that was a challenge. But I, I also thought, like, I'm ready for the next level. So I agree. I wish there was, like, a more difficult level uh, that you can the set this The most difficult on. thing in it um, is in the remasters well maybe it's in the remasters it's for sure in the european version is the are like the dark aeon stuff in the remasters yeah they are yeah they don't the problem i have with those is that there's just like big numbers and they're more about how can you manipulate the equipment system rather than how do you manipulate the turn order because it's just real big numbers mm -hmm. you kind of touched on it that the game kind of sets you up to learn about manipulating the turn order by having Titus be like a time mage, basically. Yeah. The, his most valuable skill for the entire game is haste and slow. But another thing I like about this gameplay is uh, similar to something I like about Final Fantasy IX is that at the beginning of the game, for the, the vast majority of it, characters fill really specific roles. And you don't have ultimate freedom to do whatever you want with the characters unless you choose like the expert sphere grid, which is not recommended for a new player in the slightest. Mm -mm. Uh, so if you're following the, the recommended sphere grid, it's a linear path of progression for each character and they all fill roles. So Titus is that time mage, Lulu's a black mage, Yuna is like a white mage and summoner, Waka is like your status effects dealer. Aaron does DPS, stuff like that. I love when these RPGs do this because, uh, first of all, I don't like unlimited customization. It stresses me out. And uh, it lends more characterization to the characters. I also like that even while they fill archetypes, almost none of them fill a, an extremely traditional RPG archetype. There's no like straight warrior Aaron is the closest but like he is also still situational like having the white mage also be the summoner so she has an offensive vocabulary um having um just like there being basically like a a status mage um where that falls down is kamari because kamari's <laughs> thing is being a blue mage but number one there are only like 20 blue mage spells and number two you can only do them in overdrive which is a thing that we'll talk about later i'm sure um and so and he also and has them are good like yeah the, that's the other thing is that none none of the blue mage overdrives are 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 that useful and and 
Kamari is supposed to be the jack of all trades. He has the smallest dedicated sphere grid to start with, and he's the one who could who has to start jumping over into other characters the quickest. But because everybody else is so specialized, it, sometimes it's like, well, what the fuck am I using Kamari for? Like, I don't know which uh, enemy abilities are are absorbable, so I don't know when to use Lancet. And um, also, I can only use those things very rarely, so what's the point? So, yeah, I, I love it, and I love how unconventional it is also, but uh, I don't think they had a good thesis for Kamari. So as a min-maxer, I don't like how they divided everything up because <laughs> there's too much overlap. So mm. like Waka being your guy that has high accuracy and hits flyers doesn't like really matter because Titus does the same thing because he's so much faster. It's fine if you miss half the time mm. or like how the way that um, magic works in the game is that uh, healing is also affected by your magic defense. So what that means is that all you have to do like a, it's like even before you get to like the the big first like blitzball thing that you're going to do later, you get like the ability for Lulu to learn drain and then Yuna to learn it with a sphere. And then she does like 3000 damage to guys when enemies still have 1000 HP. <laughs> it just wins the whole game. And like at that <laughs> point, you're just like, I'm going to bring Orin along because Orin hits armored guys and then I'm done. That's all I do all game basically. Mm. Hmm. I I guess I'll just say in, with regards to Kamari, I've played this game four times and I've never had a good Kamari character. <laughs> Kamari just kind of comes in to tank hits every now and then for well, me. The and, pace, mechanical pacing for Kamari is bad. Yeah. Kamari has like two overdrive skills that I think are good, but it's, it's, it's really just the one mighty guard I think is really helpful if you're not overpowered. But mm -hmm. other than that, it's like, yeah, you'll come out, you'll throw up mighty guard and then you'll go back to the bench. Um, on that note, one thing that is really cool is uh, you can switch your characters out in combat freely, and there's no penalty for doing so. There's no penalty even if you switch a character out and go, oh shit, that's not the right character, and switch them out for someone else. You can do this as many times as you want to, uh, as long as it's that character's turn, uh, who, you, who you want to switch out of the fight. This is great because boss fights and like big, difficult enemies will require skills from like more than three of your party members oftentimes and just getting them in and out of battle to uh, do their like specific skill that they're really good at and then switching them out because okay somebody has been uh, their magic defense has been broken by Aaron now I'm going to switch in Lulu so she can fucking hammer with magic attacks with no penalty whatsoever is awesome there's a downside to it but first I will kick to you what do you think? Like, I saw nodding heads, so you agree with this, too. Yeah, and I, I most of my comments are going to be about the downside to it, but I, yeah. but also, it is so nice to not waste a turn switching a party member out or not have to restart a battle to switch a party member out. Like, that rocks. That it's like, the game goes, oh, we designed a battle system that is going to require a whole arsenal. It's not just press X not to die, even though it it's relatively easy if you if you you know it. Regular random battles are going to take a little bit longer and not, but they're not like you're you're not going to party wipe generally. But like it's so nice to be able to hot swap. It adds a real sense of tactics to 
to a JRPG battle system that doesn't often allow for tactics like that. I wish they respected the equipment the same way, though, because equipment does have a time penalty when you mm-hmm. swap. Mm-hmm. And like like we're talking about like these big mid-boss type enemies, they're there for you to manipulate the equipment around because they all have like very specific gear weaknesses you would apply, but they don't treat that in like the same way. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I've never swapped any, a piece of equipment the entire oh. time I played this. Um, I swap Waka's weapons out a lot. Ability spheres specifically are at a premium early in the game, but yeah. you, uh, and I don't want to waste an ability sphere on Waka's ability that lets you just get an ability sphere from any a- enemy you kill. But he, you do pick up a, a a weapon from him that will distill an ability sphere if you attack an enemy with him with that weapon and so i would swap out to the i think it's called the a ball um to just to to snag an extra ability sphere and then swap back mm-hmm. the downside of this hot swapping system um i think that ties into it is that characters only get experience and uh the ap the ability points to move on the sphere grid if they participate in a battle it's pokemon rules basically Ooh. so this game does have grinding in it, like required grinding sections, and it has a really annoying type of grinding, I think, where in order to efficiently grind, you need to make sure everyone takes a turn during every fight, even if they have nothing to contribute to that fight. So like, people don't need healing, so I'll swap in Yuna, she'll whack the enemy with her little scepter, it will do three damage, and then I'll swap her out so she gets her experience. Uh, at least that's the way I did it. If I'm an idiot, please let me know. No. But um, this is feels like a big waste of time, I think. And also, as an added little knife twist, it makes it makes sense diegetically. But if you atta- if you just do a regular attack and your attack misses, that doesn't count as taking a turn to get oh, AP. Brutal. And so, if it's a bunch <laughs> of flying enemies, you have to like be clever about what action you're taking. So, like you know, healing you don't have to damage the enemy to get AP. Healing will give you AP. Stealing will give you AP. All this stuff. But if it misses, then you don't get it, and then you have to have that person in for another turn. This is mechanically why everybody has a freebie action like cheer mm, is yeah. so they can come in and do this because like cheer is like six cheers is the equivalent of like casting like a mild buff. They're like really <laughs> weak, but they're just basically there as mildly beneficial free actions. Yeah. Yeah. They don't cost any magic or anything like that to do that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. It's also very, very funny story wise to the idea of like titus jumping into the fight just to go come on guys you got this and then jumping back out of the fight yep. <laughs> again totally totally fitting with who yeah. titus is like That's again true. love all of his flea lines like uh i gotta go or you got lucky this time very good stuff <laughs> the other thing i want to say about about this kind of like swapping and how it can really lengthen battles and slow battles down is um this game is retroactively harmed by the remasters of the previous Final Fantasies that happened because Final Fantasy X was seen as the fastest-paced Final Fantasy battle system in forever because it wasn't tied to waiting for an active time battle meter to fill up. But every other Final Fantasy that's been remastered has had a fast-forward feature 
uh, where if it's just a regular old battle, you can click the fast forward button and it might not be, you know, like the quote unquote original intent, which means that I should be against it. But I also I have limited time on this earth. So I'm going to fast forward through some older Final Fantasy battles. Final Fantasy X's remaster does not have that same fast forward. Yep. Um, Final Fantasy XII's remaster does have that fast <laughs> forward. So they just skipped 10. That sucks to me. I guess most of your time is like thinking time. At least haste speeds up all of your animations as much as it does your characters. It's very funny. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all the characters in battle have like these idle animations. You know, Titus will like hop back and forth on his feet. Waka will do this weird fucking thing with his hand, but they do it at like double time if they have haste oh. on. And it's, it's or very I'm like, my man needs a massage. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah. Shoulder go. A, a, <laughs> I mean, he's he's carrying like a three gallon jug of uh, of some alcoholic liquid. Uh, that shit will wear on your shoulders. You're just carrying it all the time. Mm-hmm. mentioned overdrives a couple of times um just want to point out they are basically limit breaks if you play final fantasy 7 the thing that makes them stand out i i criticize the trance in final fantasy 9 i think those mm. suck mm-hmm. uh, the good thing about final fantasy 10's overdrives is you get to keep them and use them whenever you want to so if you're preparing for a boss fight you can build up those overdrive meters go into the boss fight with those big attacks ready to go and uh, it's great for all of your summons too which is how you can beat every boss in the game <laughs> yeah uh, it that's like the pro strategy for getting ready for bosses is to get your a your summons they have their own overdrive meters get those ready because those are the strongest attacks in the game for most of it and they so um the cool thing about overdrives is you can customize or like you know you you can say oh I actually want to build up an overdrive bar by doing damage, or I actually want to build up my overdrive bar by when my allies take damage instead of when I take damage. And there's all all of these different permutations that, that you can um, customize. Uh, Aeons gain overdrive meter when they're dealing damage and receiving damage so it's a much faster ramp up mm-hmm. um it, it's because they're the only target right and so like you don't have as many turns and uh to work with and uh once they die they're unavailable for like a you know a dozen fights at least um and and so it's nice that you can like really ramp up uh aeon overdrive a lot faster the ability to set your own overdrive charge is like how you turbo grind in this game mm-hmm. because you can get gear that says whenever I gain overdrive, convert it into AP. Then oh. you can get gear that says, give me triple overdrive. And you're like, what if I gained overdrive? when I took damage and then went and fought this Tonberry who does break damage limit and does like 100,000 damage to my guys. And I level up 300 <laughs> times. <laughs> I'm glad we have you on. We needed a uh, grinding, min-maxing sicko on this episode. This is this the, is great. The equipment game, the equipment in this game, is how I became a sicko for <laughs> sure. Hell yeah! 
The uh, I guess the other thing I want to mention about combat that kind of makes this stand out from a lot of Final Fantasy games is that status effects are good all the time. Yeah. Something that I think is really lacking in a lot of older Final Fantasy games is um, the fact that you get a bunch of status effects like sleep and poison and darkness and all of these things, but you could basically never use them on anything that you want to use them on. And that is just not the case for most of Final Fantasy X. Big examples being that there are some formidable like late game bosses that you can and should poison to kind of chip their health down, which, you know, what are you going to poison Kefka in Final Fantasy VI? Like, that's not going to work. <laughs> but in this game, you can do that. Brings back that trick where undead enemies are basically one hit killed if you use a phoenix down or something like that. They abuse this against you, though, because like there's that um there's like this weird rule that doesn't crop up very often, which is like if somebody's petrified underwater, they just instantly die because they can't <laughs> swim. <laughs> and there's like two boss fights designed around <laughs> around this against you. And uh, this ties into two different things um, that I really like. Um, the first is that um, so your gear each like your gear doesn't give you traditional stat boosts that often instead it's specialized into different abilities that are tied to that gear and so there's a reason to keep a bunch of your gear and not sell it and 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 swap it out uh situationally but also if either you use kamari's scan spell or you have a scope on one of your active party members items not only does it show their hp and their elemental weakness like um most final fantasies with the scan function but also it um oh sorry sensor not scope but 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 also um it will give you a little hint like this enemy is vulnerable to poison or this enemy is vulnerable to darkness and darkness when uh when it can affect an enemy is so yeah. powerful because yeah. all of their attacks will miss for like three to five turns yep this is the other thing i like is that there's a, a lot of enemies when you debuff them they'll take care of it but because it's a turn-based game, not a real-time game, they don't just get a free move. So you're still eating into the action economy. So it's mm -hmm. still good to do all of the time. Yeah. I had a lot harder time the first time I played this because I assumed that status effects suck and I mm -hmm. just like didn't use Waka a whole lot. And uh, the, the moment I realized that darkness is like one of the most powerful moves in the game, uh, it basically became fairly simple because... Uh, a lot of those big enemies that hit you really, really hard, you can use darkness on most of them and at least buy yourself a couple turns to take care of everything else. There's a boss that has some like little chumps with him and they like berserk the boss and he one shots all your guys. And like that, that has led to me doing like pro really early internet searching where I wound up on like this forum with like 10 people where they're doing their tabletop game organizing. This is how I got into <laughs> forum culture is trying to figure out what was up with this guy in final <laughs> fantasy 10. And it was like, Oh, it li literally never occurred to me that you could just cure this guy's status condition in the same way you would, because that's not mm. how most games like this would just operate. Right. Mm -hmm. Really cool stuff. The uh, other thing to mention about uh, gameplay here before we kind of clean up some miscellaneous stuff, uh, we've mentioned that sphere grid a bunch of times and talking about various spheres. Uh, this is the way that you 
level up in this. You don't get like traditional level ups. You get the ability to move a spot on the sphere grid. It looks like a board game, basically. And you move from node to node, unlocking various stat ups as you go. So like one uh, node will say HP plus 200, and you unlock that, you instantly get 200 more HP. And the next one will say speed plus one, and then you get one for your speed. This is just Path of Exile for people who have not played Final Fantasy X. <laughs> Path of Exile said, we should just do this. Yeah. And uh, I was doing some research on Lord of the Rings games for a future episode of the show. There's a Lord of the Rings game that just took the Final Fantasy X combat system, like wholesale yeah. put Whoa. it in their game. It's wow. Great. Yeah. Huh. All the Lord of the Rings games are good. Try out that Game Boy Advance one, which is just a cool Diablo. It is. Yeah, I played those Whoa. a lot. Whoa. Um, you just play through the the events of the movie in like a little handheld Diablo game. It's cool. Wild. Um, but back to the sphere grid. Uh, I want to hear what you all think, because I'm kind of of two minds on the sphere grid. On one hand, I think it's kind of annoying that like a lot of work goes into the sphere grid to accomplish the same thing that one level up does in a, a different game. Uh, but I do like uh, collecting those things. Once I trained myself to not go in and go one space at a time and just like, dude, wait till you can go three or four spaces, then go in and do that stuff. After that, I do think it's pretty satisfying to move around in it. But I wonder what you all think. I love for like forever since this game came out going in there every battle because (laughs) when you level up, you don't really appreciate it. And like like Final Fantasy four, right? Like I just got I am generically better in a not really noticeable way mm. because you're getting a tiny, tiny bit of everything at once. You're getting like one strength or whatever. And like here's 20 HP. But here I'm suddenly getting like a plus four strength on or and I go from one shotting this two shotting this guy to one shotting this guy or get it moving before a guy that I would move after in a way that's like really noticeable because it's so granular Mm -hmm. like you gain something at the expense of your time if you're willing to do it you gain like an appreciation for how it's technically a small numbers game because like at the end of the game like titus might have like a hundred strength so like a plus two is like not trivial and is like pretty noticeable if you're looking for it if you're if if you're not definitely just save it up Mm -hmm. yeah it does create more of a sense of ownership on the building of your characters than basically any final fantasy that came before um and a lot of the ones that came since uh i I think the 13 series also does a really good job of like letting you customize your characters and also it's very similar to the sphere grid in a lot of ways um but it is very linear like you can plan it out but until you start unlocking the other character paths or unlocking the end game paths, you only have one or two options of where to go. And just kind of like the dungeons, there might be one or two diverticula where it's like, oh, if I turn left here, I can get three nodes that I can that I could that I would otherwise skip. And when I was a kid, I was just filling everybody out. And when I replayed it as an adult, it was very easy to be like, ah, actually, this person's fast enough for now. So I'm going to use my sphere levels to kind of go past this speed node that's off if I turn left or like, you know, oh, I don't remember actually liking this ability that that Waka has. And so I don't need it and I need more ability spheres. So I'm just going to skip this ability. And that is nice. But 
I had to train it. I I had to play CRPGs that that were uh, more about build customization before that turned on to me. And so it ends up being like a happy medium where it's very it's a very guided experience, but you still can make decisions and those decisions matter because like chris said it's a very granular small numbers kind of progression i'm gonna disagree a little bit but because there's way more flexibility than you think there is but in a way that's really unintuitive is what i was talking about like kamari's mechanical pacing is that um bosses will start dropping level nodes initially which let you unlock into other branches and mm-hmm. basically you have to choose not to use certain characters for certain stretches of time and you have way more off ramps into way more characters than you think you do hmm. right so like if i like if i branch off right away after that first boss and then i don't use that character again until the next boss i'm suddenly three characters over and have a thief like in the first five hours of the game Mm. but you have to like basically know that which is why i think it's a really weird compromise and i think the expert secret is a way better way of doing it yeah that's what i was gonna say like i there are ways to manipulate what you're doing but you have to know what you're doing yeah Uh, so that's for repeat playthroughs and like you said there is that expert sphere grid where it's like completely just hey build them however you want to build them but if you don't know what you're doing you'll probably royally fuck up your characters doing that also i think that's too much it's like in final fantasy 12 where you wind up with a bunch of identical characters because there's no guardrails put on at all Mm. one uh one definite good thing about the sphere grid i think is that you can see the entire thing ahead of you and you can follow the path that your character will be taking. So if you're grinding, for example, and you look five spaces ahead and you see, oh, Titus is going to learn Hastaga in five nodes. I will just, and there's a boss fight coming up that just killed me or something like that. Uh, then I'm just going to grind up. I'm going to get that skill. It's going to help me a ton in this boss fight. And it kind of like gives you a target when you're doing that or just you know, look ahead and see, oh shit, Lulu's going to learn um, flair at some point. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, it gives you a little bit of a target in a way that like a lot, of, you can look up, you know, when characters in RPGs learn new skills, but like in this one, you don't really have to. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I was like, why do you move backwards four at a time? Who would ever need this? And now I'm an adult. And I realized that 10 hours later, oh, shit, I never got Dark Buster for Waka. And now I have to waste 20 levels going back to get the (laughs) skill and then going forward because that's the one that basically always works. And I need that. Mm. Yep. It's an interesting style of progression. Um, I still feel like you spend a bit too much time in the sphere grid as you're playing through the game. But I think like I can see benefits as annoyed as I am sometimes that I'm like, wow, I'm in here a lot. It's kind of like, uh, oh, like the Larian RPGs where I find myself doing inventory stuff like all the fucking time. And I have to just tell myself like, hey, uh, you don't have to check your equipment every time you pick something up. You can do this every hour or two and you'll be fine. And the sphere grid was mostly the same way for me personally. Too much of a sickle. I want to check it every time. I want that. <laughs> I want, I want, I want that it plus so 1% efficiency. <laughs> Uh, 
So there's some miscellaneous gameplay stuff to uh, kind of clean up here. First thing to mention is uh, we mentioned the progression of your characters is pretty linear, but the path of the entire game is extremely linear. And I just want to point out that I think this is good. And I think it's kind of fucked up that Final Fantasy 13 gets gets or got relentlessly shit on for being linear when 10 is just as linear, if not more. I will say one thing uh, for Final Fantasy X's sense of linearity over Final Fantasy XIII's sense of linearity, which is that the difference to me is that Final Fantasy X has towns, even though those mm. towns are also like two paths. You know, sometimes it's just like a boardwalk. Um, but that pacing of, okay, you're going to go do a dungeon, and that dungeon might be a quarter, but it's, but it's still a dungeon, and then you're going to have some downtime where you talk to folks. Like, 10 has that where 13 doesn't. That being said, I also, the other thing is that, like, because you're seeing it on a world map, and and, like, there's still a sense of adventure and place to it that mm-hmm. I think really um, eases the the feeling of linearity. And also, there are still left turns that lead into slight puzzles where you can get cool gear along your linear path. There's uh, one moment about 10 hours into the game where you're riding a chocobo for the first time and there are little golden feathers that you might not catch where it's like, oh, I think there's a chest up there. I don't know how to get there. And you still have to puzzle out like, oh, how do I get there? So yeah, I, you know, almost every Final Fantasy game is linear. It just has a world map that you travel around. Um, it's just and, fake. Yeah, it's just fake. And <laughs> and this one is like, no, we're, we're linear. And there's a, and, and there's a plot justification for why it's linear. And then also there are still, they're, they're short, they're small, but there's, there are nooks and crannies to explore still going back to your comparison it's not just towns the other big difference is that final fantasy 13 teleports you around a lot you're just i got to the end of this hallway i'm gonna get teleported to another hallway and they don't connect and i can never go back and Mm. that's true in final fantasy 10 i think exactly once when you get teleported to a completely different place but other than that you go backwards through the whole game if you want to Mm-hmm. So you don't, it doesn't feel as disjointed. It has a sense of placeness that it doesn't, where 13 feels like an anonymous tube, which is what I think that people really are like grading on is that there's no one to talk to and I have no idea where I am. So I'm just kind of holding the stick the whole time. Yep. Yep. Like not, not to say that I like all of that stuff about 13, because that's why I stopped playing it the first time <laughs> I played it. But Final Fantasy X kind of feels like it gets a huge pass here like people just don't even bring it up all that often and just worth noting that it is a super linear game i think that's because final fantasy 10 wants to be likable and charming and final fantasy 13 wants to be cool mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> and it is cool but it doesn't want to be likable yeah mm. <laughs> um we have heaped a lot of praise on final fantasy 10 so far so uh, i there is one thing i have to bring up that I think is like pretty much like easily the worst thing in the game. And uh, Yuna goes on this pilgrimage from these temples uh, to temples in different towns. When you go into the temples, you have to do these puzzle sections. They're called the Cloister of Trials, where you basically solve puzzles by putting different spheres into different holes that have different properties. And um, I don't know, try to create paths and stuff like that. 
I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about them. Just have to bring them up. You spend a decent amount of time doing them in the game and they suck. And you do them all twice if you want to get one of the secret <laughs> summons because you got to do all the secret puzzles within the puzzles also. Oh, no. <sighs> we did it. We finally figured out why the entire not everyone in the world is a summoner. And it's because everyone in the world hates these except for right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only saving grace for the Cloister of Trials Cloisters of Trials are that there are no random battles inside yes. these temples. Um, <laughs> it, can you imagine? Holy it would shit. be the worst. <laughs> but it's it's really tough to know what's interactable, even though there are like glowing interact points. They're they're inconsistent. They're you have to like hit confirm way too many times. It like asks you if you're sure every time you, you press X on a thing. Ball. I got you can only hold two yeah, hands. You can yeah. only hold one <laughs> sphere. Like in trying to do adventure game puzzle style stuff, they did not consider how the engine should be altered in order to make it a smoother experience mm. and so ev- not only is it tough to know like okay what am i missing here how do i push forward where's the secret explodo wall like you know all of that it's also just like there are too many buttons there are too many slow animations you have to sit through it's just clunky like the, the one I- in bavel is a war crime where mm-hmm. it's also the puzzle is traversal and you just have to whoops i forgot to hit the button i gotta wait two more minutes yeah it really it and the it, music is bad yeah yeah yep. it's not a great song and it's the same song for all of them yep yeah so. yep and 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 you you get hit with the with the with the choral song that i like so much in the entrance to each one of them and then you go in and it, you get bad music instead <laughs> it, <clears throat> And you have to do them all again, no matter what, because some of the coolest shit narratively in the game is behind doing these all again, even if you got all of the secret puzzles the first time. Weak. Okay, you're gonna have to tell me in the spoiler section, because I've never done that because these suck. Uh, As much as I love this game, I don't love this game that much. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, last thing I want to talk about, and it's maybe one of the more divisive things about Final Fantasy X and that is not only are Titus and Waka Blitzball players narratively, but there is a Blitzball mini game in this. Uh, and I maintain that they did this because the mini game in Final Fantasy IX is such a fucking mess that they're like, we're making a sport in Final mm-hmm. Fantasy X. We're doing something totally, no more card games. Matt's not here. We can all admit the triple, that uh, Triple Triad and all of those card games are bad. I like Triple Triad until it introduces the rules that suck. Uh, but basic base Triple Triad is something I like. So bad I have a plug-in do it for me in Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I didn't get far enough in Final Fantasy eight to even hit the tutorial for Triple Triad. So Blitzball is so good though, and the music rocks. The the music is good. So what happens in Blitzball? Blitzball, like we said, takes place. I don't actually don't think we said this. Blitzball games take place not only underwater, but in a floating sphere of water. To the point where, like, I think in one of the cutscenes, you see someone get like body checked out of the sphere of water yeah. and like out into the stands. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, a very metal looking sport. Uh, what you're doing, like, when you play Blitzball, is significantly less cool, I think. But it is still, I think, a fun game to play. You swim around. It's kind of like a real time control, but then you can pause at any time to pass the ball to someone 
or to take a shot. It's like, I don't know enough about water polo to definitively say it's like water polo. It's like underwater soccer. Yeah. And it's menu based. So it's like menu based underwater soccer slash rugby. Like it's rugby, but with soccer nets instead of football goals. Right. Um, And your players all have stats that determine like, can they make this long pass? Can they survive being body checked by somebody and skills that poison guys when they exactly. catch the ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you learn special skills. Like uh, there's a shot that if you get the QTEs right, Titus can learn where he basically takes out two people by hitting the ball at their face really mm-hmm. hard and then taking a shot at the goal. That's like a third of their team you kill at once. That's crazy. <laughs> it is. Um, and to kind of wrap it all up before we talk a little bit about playing it, as you go through the game, you can meet the players from the other teams and they you can recruit them to come play on your team, which you should because your players kind of suck. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're so mad. <laughs> when you win the tournament, the cutscene is so, the cutscenes after are so good. Yeah. Can't really proud, talk about them right now, but I love that. Proud to say that um there's a there I think one mandatory time that you have to play Blitzball in the game. Yeah. And uh, it's a tournament. You're, the odds are kind of stacked against you. Like I said, the players on your team, other than Titus, are bad. But I'm proud to say I won it this time. I won that tournament. And Hell yeah. uh, it was a good moment. I spent three hours trying to win it. And then all I got was a stupid strength sphere. <laughs> <laughs> the reward's not great. But the satisfaction, that's the real reward. Um, I've gone back and forth on Blitzball. I loved it the first time I played Final Fantasy X. Uh, like the... Second to most recent time I played it, I was like, this sucks, actually. And then on this replay, I was like, wait, Blitzball is actually really cool. I love this. I am very ambivalent because I like it so much in theory, but a triple triad match takes 30 seconds. Blitzball has so much downtime, and so it takes a lot of time, Mm -hmm. and that bugs me. Um, and then also the other thing that's kind of frustrating is that because it is stat based and menu based, you can, um, really hose yourself into playing a game that is literally unwinnable because even with the special moves, nobody's shot power is powerful enough to, um, counteract the goalies, uh, bl- like saving stat even though it's a dice roll that it it the saving stat will then roll between 50 percent of the max or 150 percent of the max but sometimes there are some optional tournament fights where it's just like oh i literally i literally can't win this but um i have to i have to play it out in order to get to the next match and i very much dislike that part of it so if it had less weighting and there was a way for player skill to better augment um, character stats, I would be 100% all for it. Um, I think it is definitely one of the better, like, long-running mini-games in a Final Fantasy, but I also did not want to spend my time playing it this time. It's no coin game from Ten Two, but it's really good. Mm. It does take a long time. You are right about that. Like you, it's like you can, fifteen minutes a match, easy. Yeah, you can play Blitzball at any save sphere, um, and it is a commitment to say, "Oh, I am actually going to sit down and play some Blitzball now." Your save spheres also just look like Blitzball, like 
spheres, which is really good to me. Yeah. Yeah. And we we didn't mention at the beginning, but like Blitzball is like a Blitzball is like football in the US, but like probably more ubiquitous in this world. It, it it's feels the only sport. Yeah, it's it not only does it seem like it's the only sport, it's the only like source of happiness and entertainment in this world at all, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like American football, it ties directly into the nationalism industrial complex. Like, uh. like <laughs> they use it at they use Blitzball as the opiate of the masses and as propaganda a lot. Yeah, the Pope who is the president shows up to like be, do the opening ceremonies. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, uh, so my sister was a sociology major in undergrad and she wrote her big senior thesis on the sociology of Seattle turning into a baseball town in the mid nineties. And, um, that made Waka's speech early in the game about how sports are actually really good for the community and, and really like help instill a sense of place, uh, and a sense of belonging to each town uh really hit for me like i don't like waka i i i i think he's a racist asshole but he's right about sports mm-hmm. oh it's interesting that you like that when waka says we should all band together in opposition to everyone from everywhere else interesting <laughs> <laughs> So I think this is a, a good opportunity to get into some kind of wrap-up thoughts in this non-spoiler part here before we break the spoiler wall down entirely. Um, what we do in this section is we just kind of, you know, sum up our thoughts if we have things to say and answer the question, who would you recommend Final Fantasy X to? I think anybody who has an interest in JRPGs should give it a shot. Like, it is, I think one of the best just from how fun the combat is how complete and 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 naturalistic the characters are how integrated the story is with the world they've built it's not my favorite jrpg but i think it might be the platonic ideal of the genre yeah yeah i can't think of one (laughs) i would recommend final fantasy 10 to people who are sad and also to people who used to be very religious and are no longer very religious, mm. because Final Fantasy X loves to think about religion in all stages of your life, and even if you're not still in it. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, it's interesting. Like I play, I've played a lot of Final Fantasy games, both for the podcast and not. Uh, this is my favorite combat system in the entire series uh, of the games that I've played. Uh, maybe like I don't know. Maybe Tactics might give it a run for its money with combat systems I like, but this is really good. I would put this up there with some of my favorite turn-based combat systems in general. So if you like games with like strategic turn-based combat, I think this is for you. Um, If you like JRPGs, but don't like how they have unnecessary increases in scope where like all of a sudden a God that's been watching you the whole time jumps in at the 11th hour, Final Fantasy X doesn't do that. It naturally gets to its ending in a way that I think a lot of games in the series and genre don't do. So 
in that case, I do think, yeah, Ryan, like you said, like a platonic ideal for the genre, good combat, a story, a story that doesn't like, you know, spin a web that it can't wrap up stuff like that. It's really good. I go back and forth on what my favorite Final Fantasy game is. It's probably between this one and six. The The saga of playing all of them is still ongoing, but to this point, still one of my favorites. Uh, I love it. Chris, you thought of one? Final Fantasy four, which has all of the same general, like you want to hit all the classic notes, but it's fantasy, which is what most people associate with. That's uh, true. A JRPG. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I like ten more than four, but I also I think I four like is it a, more. Yeah, I just think yeah, four yeah. is more platonic. Sure, 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 sure. Gotcha. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it is. When you think of um, yeah, fantasy, the the Pacific Island setting and the uh, walk of fighting with a volleyball and stuff like that doesn't quite. <laughs> uh, it's not the image that people conjure up. Look, when I think of JRPGs, I think about throwing a volleyball at a giant whale flipper. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we get into the uh, spoiler section here, we want to do a little bit of housekeeping. First things first, Ryan and Chris, tell everybody about Lightning Strikes Thrice. Tell everyone what's going on on the show these days and uh, tell people where they can find you. Sure. Yeah. So Lightning Strikes Thrice is an incredibly deep dive JRPG podcast. Um, JRPG and JRPG adjacent at this point. Um, and so we will spend multiple weeks, multiple episodes on one game and really dig into what works, what doesn't, how our perceptions change over time. Um, we get into the weeds about, uh, you know, themes and and artist intent versus effect and all of that. And then sometimes get into like really specific inane arguments about tiny little details that end up being very fun. Right now, our season is on an incredibly uh, indie game called Wolfstride that is um, we're having a great time dissecting. I would say listen to the season for for more of our thoughts. Um, we also have um, it, it, we're part of a larger network called Pitch Drop, where um, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you get a bunch of other shows about anime and other specific video games as well. Yeah, one of those is... Uh... The uh, the podcast that Just Ryan and I do, which is uh, Icons and Icons, which is uh, the same podcast we just described, but about Final Fantasy fourteen and uh, how much it loves to do colonialism and racism. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff going on in there. Yeah. <laughs> also, it, we just finished the entire, basically the plot of Final Fantasy X. <laughs> uh-huh. Nice, nice. Uh, what are some other games that you've covered in the past for Lightning Strikes Thrice? Let's see. I think I can name all of them. We did... Final Fantasy 13, 13 2, Lightning Returns, which is 13 3, 15, Shadow Hearts Covenant, Xenosaga 1 through 3, Final Fantasy 8, and now Wolf Shride. And I don't think I missed anything. Nope, I think that's all of them. Uh, yeah. Bravo. The, the name Lightning Strikes Thrice uh, came because the, pro the initial project of the podcast was to play the three Final Fantasy 13 games. Nice. 13-2 is the best Final Fantasy game. Check it out. I Ooh. don't disagree, and I wasn't even on those seasons. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a good show. I enjoy listening to it, especially um, like I'm not playing Wolfstride, so like ep- episode four of your deep dive into Wolfstride kind of loses people like me. But I did enjoy listening to the first one to figure out what is this game about that I'd literally never heard of before it came up on your show. No one has ever heard of it besides me, apparently. <laughs> you and Austin Walker are the two people who I've heard mention it. Uh, Austin Walker Austin. has heard of it and not played it. Right. I'm the only person who's paid money for Wolfstride, as far as I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's a good show. Deep Dives. Um, the uh, Final Fantasy 15. When I was preparing to play 15, I listened to your episodes about the supplementary material because I was not going to watch that shit, but I would listen <laughs> to you all talk about it. So <gasps> thank you for your service. One of those was good, I think. <laughs> Which one not, was it? Was it the not movie? Kingsglaive? Uh, King, no, King's... that's what I liked, though. That's uh, what I liked because yeah. it had because the teleporting was cool. All right, and that's it. All right, the game all didn't right. make the teleporting cool, but the, the it was cool in the movie, and all the we, DLCs were good except for Gladio. We just got word like today that PS Plus members on like the top level can watch a bunch of Sony movies on like, yeah. ps plus for free and they Spider-Man. advertised it by being like you can watch some of your favorite movies for free such as looper and final fantasy 15 king's glade and i was like <laughs> okay that's what you got all right fuck yeah i would watch looper looper's good yeah i'm not mad at looper for sure so i will put a link down in the uh show notes for everyone to check out lightning strikes oh, Thrice. i thought you meant to looper <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, I shall put a link down to Looper and where you can stream it at this time. Who knows? Um, It's not bad. Yeah. But I will also put a link for Lightning Strikes Thrice so people can check out uh, what you all are doing. And I'll put a link for your Patreon as well if people are interested in the other shows that you're making, especially the uh, Final Final Fantasy 14 show, kind of like a play along type thing. So uh, for this podcast, you can support the show by doing the same things I ask you to do all the time, such as uh, juicing up the algorithm on your favorite podcast app by leaving a rating and review. Uh, You can join the Discord server to come in and chat. uh, Talk about Final Fantasy X this week. Talk about Final Fantasy X 2 if you want to, and that continent full of uh, Lulu goths. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, And... You can join the Patreon if you want to support monetarily, patreon.com slash Jackson. You can also listen to my other podcast, which is called A Top 3 Podcast, where we do top three lists and we do drafts and other fun stuff like that. So uh, we are going to take a break. When we come back, it is full spoiler time for Final Fantasy X. we're back and it's full spoiler time for final fantasy 10 and uh as per tradition lately we're not going in a linear order through the story so we're going to spoil like big revelations um that you may learn late in the game so again if you don't want to be spoiled please leave now so one of the early revelations that you learn in the game 
is that Sin is not this, like, well, it is a monster, but it's not like a a monster in the way that a lot of other games do big monsters. It's Sin is actually one of the people who participated in defeating Sin the last time. And I didn't bring it up in the non-spoiler part because uh, it just didn't come up, but Sin was defeated 10 years ago by Yuna's father and her two guardians. Oren was there, and the other guardian was Titus's dad, and his dad is now Sin. Uh, so that's kind of the way the cycle works. Somebody, one of the guardians who helped defeat Sin, takes its place, and then we continue again. And this sets up one of the kind of struggles for Titus throughout the story, Interestingly, because, in my opinion, because he fucking hates his dad. His dad is an asshole. And so it's not like a, oh my God, I don't want to like, I don't want to fight my dad or something like that. It's like, I think Titus is up for it because Jex is such a dickhead. Yeah, it really, it what it does is it like personifies or monstronifies, I guess, uh, <laughs> Titus's daddy issues. Um, and also... It happens so early, and it happens before you really even have your feet in the world. It's like the third thing that Auron ever says to you. It happens like six or seven hours in, and I was really surprised by that. And at first, it feels like a very—it felt like a very clunky reveal to me for Auron to just be like— Right after the Blitzball tournament, right? Yeah, and and, and Auron just goes, sin— is jacked and then he's like and you know this is true and it's very (laughs) very star wars in that way but also like then you find out throughout the game that jacked the guy did love his son quite a bit but that doesn't mean that he was ever a good dad. You never like turn, you never like look back on, on like Titus's childhood and go, Oh, Titus had it wrong. Jekt actually was great. He, he sucked as a dad. He was an arrogant asshole, but also he drew Titus in or because, or he got Aaron to draw Titus in because he knew that his kid would have the ability to kill him. And so he was like, oh, if I'm going to become Sin, I want my kid here when I resurface because I know that he's going to be up for killing me. (laughs) And I love that. I really, I love that. I do love that one of Titus's primary complaints is my mom loved him more than she loved me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just... It was interesting to me, like, you could correct me if I'm misremembering this, but, like, even at the end, when you have, like, the final confrontation, it's, like, finally time to kill Jekt. He's still a dickhead to Mm -hmm. Titus. And, like, they don't have, like, a reconciliation at the end. Titus is like, I hate you. It's actually one of the lines that sticks out in my head as, like, really suffering from having to shorten it to match the, the Japanese. He just goes, Dad, I hate you. He says it, like, really fast, Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't fit but yeah they don't have like a makeup at the end they just kind of go and jacked probably badgers him for crying too much like he does throughout the whole game and mm-hmm. then yeah it's like time to time to kill my dad yeah it's i mean it's it i after getting over being jarred by it i ended up really liking it because it provided this like thematic through line for Titus's fuck you dad 
lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. It also, when you see Titus's bachelor pad, I'm like, oh, yeah, you did grow up fatherless, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so part of like the reason, I mean, you want to go kill Sin because that will bring peace to the land for 10 years or something like that. But part of the reason is because it would free Ject from being in this like prison of sorts. Um, one of the villains in the, well, the main villain other than Sin is Seymour, who we didn't talk about in the non-spoiler part. Not that he's like a giant spoiler. You know that he's the villain. You the second you meet him, you're like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like that the veins in that guy's cheeks. Like he's definitely evil. Someone mm-hmm. was so mad at me for spoiling that Seymour was the villain one time. I'm like, are you for real? Wow! Do wow! You look at his hair. What? Do you think he's going to be nice? The <laughs> Have way you he ever looks? seen any media before? <laughs> this is so. And this, I mean, this is the thing that I really like about Seymour is that um, he is design-wise an evolution of the, like, Bishonen kind of, like, feminine-featured or androgynous-featured evil fuckboy. But, you can tell he's evil because he's got chest hair. Right, yeah. but... but he, He's got belly hair. Not alone chest hair, he's got belly hair. Well, and once you meet the rest of the Guado, it's like, is that belly hair also tree roots? Um, <laughs> which is wild. But, like, he isn't just a disillusion like a nihilist who's disillusioned because he's reckoning with his own mortality like Sephiroth and Kuja instead he's tied into the church he has a reason for wanting to do all this evil shit he thinks it's noble even though it's not another thing that we didn't talk about is that um the guado uh which he's half guado um and he's kind of like the the he is the next guy in line after his dad who was the one who the reason why guado went from being shunned to be by the rest of society to being like uh begrudgingly and slowly accepted is because they accepted yevin and started adopting the dominant religion which is Mm -hmm. also fucked up in a cool like in a good like oh that's an interesting plot detail way it's fucked up not fucked up like the story like they made a mistake but um then He's just so catty. He's the guy who reveals in front of Titus that Xanarkand is uh, a thousand years in the past. Um, he His marriage proposal, he basically does because he knows it would really fuck Titus over. And also because he wants to be <laughs> the head of the church and also, like, you know, the ambassador of the Guado and all of that. Um, but... Yeah, Seymour is such a catty, messy little asshole. Yeah, huge, (laughs) huge mean bitch vibes from Seymour. But he's Mm -hmm. like, you know, we all know that all these guys here at this military operation you've heard about for 15 hours are going to eat shit and die. But Mm. you know what? It gives them a purpose. And that's cool. And Waka's like, I don't think a pastor should say that. He's like, well, why don't you pretend I didn't say it, bitch, and then (laughs) leaves? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like Seymour as a villain. I, I prefer him to a lot of the... Because, again, he's the villain who's the villain for most of the game, but then at the end of the game, he's not the villain anymore. But a lot of people play that role throughout the series and the genre. I think Seymour is a pretty good one. Um, mm-hmm. He kind of chews up 
every scene that he's in. I think he's really good. The voice oh, acting for is Seymour so is good. good. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. his theme is good. His voice acting is good, and his position in the narrative as representing like the worst excesses of this philosophy is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, especially because, like, he and his people are relatively new converts, and so, like, he is the most fervent because, yeah. you know, a lot of times people new to a religion are the most, like, extreme about it, and he also recognizes the corruption beneath it and is like, oh, I can use this. Yeah, once Seymour finds out, my, Seymour's like, oh, yeah, we definitely got to do this, and then, like, compare him leaning in harder to, like, Micah being like, well, I guess I'll just die then, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. he is way into it. I liked at the beginning, uh, when you kind of first meet him, it's it's during that operation that you talked about where all those soldiers die. Uh, he gets to join your party for a second. I think and- you meet him. No, the first time you meet him is when he is at the tournament, because Meehan's right, right after that. Right. And- he is just like the baddest motherfucker ever. And then he joins your party, which is right. so sick. It, yeah. it, you get to see him be powerful, but then I like it. They let him join your party. So you get to like fight with him and feel how powerful he is. Because your characters are nowhere near as strong as him when he's in your party for that that short time. And the the way at at that tournament, is that tournament in Bavel? That's Luca. Luca, that's right. Yeah, the... Uh, the way that he kind of saves the day, because what happens is, you know, there is a big, it's like the opening day of the tournament in Luca, and a bunch of people have been brought in, and like the Grand Maester of Yevon has been brought in, and, and, and Seymour is like the Grand Maester's second in command, and he, when Sinspawn show up in the middle of the tournament and everyone starts fleeing, he saves the day by summoning an Aeon, and that Aeon is so fucked up, and it's chained, and like, it only has one eye. And you can tell it's been through some shit, and also it, like, like fries blood out of its eye. Yeah, yeah. and you're like, Ugh. oh, oh, this guy seems this this guy's summon seems really bad. Yeah, it seems wrong. Like it seems like you know, Yuna has like these nice summons. I think maybe you have like one or two by that point. You have Ifrit. Okay, and yeah, and have- then you have Valifor also. Yeah, yeah. So. They're both, you know, cool looking summons, but they don't look evil like right. the way Seymour's. Seymour's is like, oh, uh, the head of the church, that's what his summon looks like. Mm. It also, this is like a, they, in the middle of their false flag yeah. that they blame <laughs> on the owl bed to make Seymour seem likable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, like, like a lot of Yuna's summoning animations show a kind of like tenderness towards her aeons also, like Valifor in particular, like, like it like nuzzles her and she like pets its head. And that's the piece that when you choose the, um, the quick summon animation instead of the full summon animation, that's the part that still plays. Uh, and then, yeah, this one is just like all chained up in iron chains and it's, it's, I love it's like dragged up by an anchor. Yeah, by its neck. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, it's good. So, I guess like Seymour's grand plan after I don't know after his like church takeover plan is is complete. Is he says that he wants to become Sin, uh, which he will reject. He says that's his reason. But does he just want to become Sin to become all powerful and fuck everything up? He thinks that he will be able to control sin 
and mm. kill everybody and free everyone from the suffering of being alive. You can't suffer because sin is real if you're killed by sin. That's that's true. I can't fault his logic there. <laughs> Damn, you fucking got me. Guess I'll go lay in the street. Yep. <laughs> uh, the uh, the only other thing I noticed about uh, Seymour is you get a flashback when you're in Xanarkand, and it's a flashback of Seymour's mom who's like dying. Um, and she tells him to go defeat Sin, and then people accept him after that. And uh, his mom looks a lot like Yuna. Mm-hmm. And I made note of that because he spends most of the game trying to kidnap and marry Yuna. Yeah, for sure some Freudian shit going on well, with Seymour. The person who looks more like his mother is already dead. This is 10-2 ten, ten stuff. Oh, 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 okay. oh, 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 right, right, right. Gotcha. But he does just like people that look like mommy. Mm-hmm. So the um, the other kind of big reveal that you get, like fairly early, maybe midway through the game, is that Yuna's pilgrimage uh, is destined to end with her dying. Uh, the way that it works is you get the final Aeon, and the the process of summoning the final Aeon, the one that can kill Sin, uh, will kill the summoner, um, and then a guardian will become Sin after ten years of calm. And this, I think, this is a really good like thing that adds weight to what you're doing and i think again adds a lot to yuna's character uh when you see how just confidently she proceeds on this journey that she knows she's gonna die at the end of but yeah knowing that this is coming like replaying this and knowing that this is coming there's a lot of scenes where like titus talks about like what we're going to do after we beat sin and like how you're going to live after all this is over and yuna's just kind of like smiling and nodding and just being like yep and not really like you know acting excited about all of that and it kind of just passes if you don't know what's coming i think yeah this is what i was talking about with their relationship thing and this is what yuna likes so much about their relationship is that titus is like the one person she can lie to and pretend to have a normal life while she's around Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and it totally works i mean so i'll be real like the foreshadowing hit me very hard as a kid. Like I knew that oh, they okay. were talking around it, it, which is, you know, that's not, that's not to say that like anyone's dumb for not seeing it. But I can't it, help it. I only read Dean Koontz novels when I was a teenager, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the fact that at his core, besides the rage against his dad, like Titus is such an optimistic himbo who just wants people to be happy. Like, the fact that everyone is talking around it and so it actually hits like a revelation for him and a surprise um like i was re- it i was really living in that dramatic irony of oh i know something that the character doesn't and i think even if you do know yeah like on replays or if you pick up on the hints that that the game is dropping either one it 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 adds this tragic weight to everything even though they circumvent it and that she doesn't have to die at the end um right it, you know someone else dies instead but uh yeah it i i i love i love the dramatic irony of that the reveal is like so powerful at like where it comes in the narrative also right like you just, as far as you know, you just, like, killed Seymour, you got sucked up by Sin, and you're at where Riku lives during basically, like, the launch of the Crusades, mm-hmm. and 
all of the other summoners that you've met and like have had been what you thought was friendly competition with, but really you're trying, they're all racing to be the only one that has to die to save the other ones that they like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like that's the real competition between like Isamaru and stuff, right? Uh, they're all there and they're like, no, we all get it. You're the only person in the world who doesn't get it. And this is why we think it's good, actually. Yep. Well, Titus and Dave, the only people <laughs> who didn't get it. Uh, at least the first time I played it, it oh, was I a big... It's fine. It was huge. Yeah. I loved it. Great oh, stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I'm just the type of person who, like, I don't ever really pick up on foreshadowing and a twist will always surprise me. It's just the way I, you know, pay mm. attention to stuff. Or don't pay attention to stuff. Who knows? But um, this is also uh, interesting. We'll talk a little bit later about like what what we learn about the church and like what this game has to say about religion. But Yuna's faith is threatened and then destroyed at certain points throughout the story. But then she decides to continue on with this quest anyway because you know this is the only way. Until you learn the other way, <laughs> the only way to um to bring any semblance of like peace of mind to anybody in the world. And it's, again, it's part of the reason why I think that I like Yuna as a character more than a lot of people do, uh, because she's staring all of this in the face and just being like, no, we're continuing. This is what we're doing. Yeah. It's just, she starts almost fully developed, I think is what's hard about it. Yeah. Yeah. It does make her crisis of confidence and crisis of of faith hit though it that like it i i agree in that she has the least kind of growth to do but then but then she's like oh wait this religion is fucked um what like oh god this is what i've been doing my whole life and the other i mean the other thing that we haven't really talked about is the other reason why yuna and titus uh kind of get along is that they're both living in the shadow of their much more famous dads because her dad was the last one to do the summoning mm-hmm. and um and they're living in the shadow of either dead or absentee or both dads also um which i i think is just so so great yep they're a good fit for sure the part where you uh, get to Xanarkand and you find the sphere where Yuna is because Xanarkand is the last stop, basically. Uh, you find the sphere where Yuna is um, saying goodbye to everybody, kind of reliving her favorite memories. Like a lot of a lot of RPGs do this where like the party will kind of do this sort of thing before the final battle. But in this one, it's just kind of Yuna saying like uh, talking about her favorite memories with each character and then saying goodbye and um when she gets to the end and talks about Titus and she can't say his name because he's the only character that you can like you know customize the name so she goes huge fucking mistake yeah yeah just 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 have a canon name mm-hmm. um so at the end she just goes and then finally i guess that leaves you instead My of newest you. guardian <laughs> yeah um but then she says i know how it feels now as their you know love story's been developing um this sphere thing where she's saying goodbye to everybody and then coupled with like the stuff directly after that is like really really powerful emotional stuff and i i love it well also it says it really adds a lot again retroactively to all the things that happened before because this is the thing she's doing like right after the blitzball tournament 
when you stop after beating up the chocobo eater she's recording this then and has just basically just been hanging out with all of these people she Mm. thinks of as gone to her already Mm. Mm. yep it hurts it hurts and this is really interesting at least the first time i played it like you're you're butting up against like the deadline like if there was going to be a way to figure out how to not have yuna die you're really you're right up against it because you're as basically as soon as this is over you go talk to unaleska this is my favorite thing in the plot is once you get is titus and riku repeatedly have you thought of anything yet no but i'm gonna i swear (laughs) and they're like really desperate for it yeah and it you're right at the end basically and um obviously yuna doesn't die but the fact that they they basically figure it out at the last minute i think it would have lost something what i'm trying to say is i think it would have lost something if like two-thirds of the way through the game they're like we figured it out and then now we're going to do 10 more hours of game before we actually do the thing that's going to save yuna i like that they don't figure it out you just get told it well yeah but you get to that last stop and they have that campfire scene and everyone's sitting around and like titus like kind of like wants to talk to people because he can't sit still and everyone's just like dude not now man it's a really really powerful scene the music's playing again it's awesome you're right up against it. You really think that like, oh shit, did they lose the opportunity to figure something out? Mm-hmm. It There's like this really good, it is a little, it's very good. It's a good scene. But what I do think is a little bit funny is that there's like really iconic shot of like, here's all of our swords in the mound where yeah. we put it up, <laughs> we hang out together and then also Waka's volleyball on <laughs> top of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just also there. Uh, it's great. Yeah. During that scene, um, another cool just kind of touch that people start kind of telling memories and stories. It feels like the like the halftime scene of the water boy when people are telling Bobby Boucher stories. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then Yuna just like shuts it down. She's like, guys, uh, please, let's not do this right now. Like, I'm going to die in 10 minutes. Yeah, I fought like 70 big jellies and I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I think uh, sucks about this part is um kind of repeatedly throughout the story but it kind of comes to a head right when it's time for yuna to die titus basically takes over and he says this is my story and kind of takes it over when like at this point like this is like not really your story anymore again yuna's about to die and titus throughout the game has been repeatedly saying that this is his story but this is the one time where i was like maybe not now I think Tita's got sports, like sports at like sports star brain, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't be a professional athlete if you're not like an egotistical maniac, basically. Yeah. <laughs> right. And him like listening and being like, oh, shit. Oh, you're right. Oh, so- sorry. Is, is, is really, that's also great because, um, you know, he, he is emotionally mature enough to listen to people and realize when maybe he's he's getting a little too big for his britches, which is maybe not something that his dad would have been capable of. But at this point, so this is something we didn't talk about because we're in the spoiler wall, but like this is the scene that like frames the entire narrative up until now because this is also the at the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you have Titus there and then you immediately go to play him and he's like a completely different person. Mm-hmm. And like the level of growth that's between then and here for him to be able to just take the backseat for a minute is like so big and like really well earned. 
Because yeah. there's no like just 180 on Titus. It is like a really slow overtime. He's like really well written. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. comes through here at this moment when you wrap back around to the framing scene. Right. Exactly. It's part of the reason why he does a lot for me narratively more so than uh, a cloud or. Uh, no, Zidane's cool. I like Zidane. <laughs> yeah, well, Cloud's, Cloud's character growth is, I'm a completely different guy now. Bye. Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I think the this is like the only like notable boss fight here, uh, other than maybe the last one, is when you fight Unaleska, because Unaleska has like one of the most serious tricks if you're not prepared for it, where she'll mm. basically just kill your entire party mm-hmm. at once. Well- there's a bunch of really hard ones in a row because like you have the mountain guardian, which is just like the hardest traditional boss. Mm. And then you have the guy with all the mines, which is like really out there. And that one like is a good puzzle yeah. fight. And then Unaleska, the fucking the poison Megadeth thing is a lot. Yeah. Kind of made me rage quit the first time I played it where until I realized like, oh, just, you know, stop healing yourself for a minute and or, let that stay there. You can grind to like 10 levels and get holy (laughs) and then be done immediately. I knew that there was going to be a sicko way to uh, to get out (laughs) of it. Well, because you can't... Holy's at the end of the trees because everyone's locked behind a level 4 lock and you don't get them until you beat Unaleska. Mm -hmm. And so basically, this is where you cap out is getting holy, which does uh, 10,000 damage every time. Mm. How do you get the level 4 spheres before you beat her? You don't. So you're oh. well, basically what I'm saying is you can cap out here and you're only like 10 levels away by the time you get mm. here, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I hope you don't die because that entire cutscene with Oren before is very long and in the PS2 version unskippable. It's the <laughs> cutscenes are also not skippable in Final Fantasy the, in the remaster, which is interesting because they are skippable in 10-2. But I think the original 10-2 also the cutscenes might have been skippable. Well. I think they realized they fucked up and redid their entire engine at that point. Yeah, because the reason you can't skip cutscenes is because they were hard coded in, into the engine to not be skippable. So they couldn't. That cutscene like, is so good. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's also, I, I mean, like the whole time that I was playing this, I was like, oh my God, Arn is such an asshole. He's such a dick. Jesus, everyone loves him. And he's such a bully to Titus. He, <laughs> um, and then, and then we get, we get this scene and it's just like, oh my God. Okay. He's got like, you know, he's, he's a very no nonsense, like this is the harsh reality kind of guy, but like he has care and tenderness inside him. Orin is like really well developed, but they don't always in the background. Aaron Orin Orin is never the foreground character. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like in uh, like Final Fantasy IX where everyone has their turn to be the main character for like three hours and then they're gone forever. Orin is never the main character in that way, but he's like this warrior monk who is excommunicated and then got adopted out of pity. And like reformed from being a drunkard by Braska, then was forced to hang out with Jekt forever. Yep. And then watched <laughs> all of his friends die, like, and then also got smashed against a mountain when he went back for revenge after finding out his entire life was a lie. Mm-hmm. So, like, huge dick, but also earned, probably. Yeah. yeah. Been, been through a lot, for sure. And then you promise your friend you're going to go to another dimension, basically, get his kid and then have him hang out with you. And he's the same exact annoying guy in the exact same way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I thought I got away from this asshole. Uh. <laughs> Speaking of Jekt, uh after you fight Unaleska, I thought this is like a weird comic relief moment. You, you're supposed to 
like summon the final aeon to kill sin but instead you decide to basically kill god instead and start by killing unaleska when you walk out of that scene sin's just kind of like outside looking at you like bro what the fuck like this wasn't this wasn't the plan like i'm supposed (laughs) to be gone right now literally just sitting there like looking at you like if he if sin had a traditional face it would be a face of like hey man what yeah happened come on come on fight me bro fight me yeah i thought that was fun not a lot of like expression on sin but the way they posed him or something like that just made me laugh So uh, we can talk about the kind of religious stuff and the the things you learn about the religion um, in this game. Basically, the sin cycle is being like propped up by Yevon uh, or you Yevon, I suppose. And the promise of like atoning for it, uh, for like their past technology use and stuff like that with the promise of like sin disappearing and all of that is uh, a lie propagated by the church to keep people busy uh, and let sin, I guess, keep them um, introduce like trauma into their life to keep them looking for comfort anywhere, I suppose. And they would find that in the church. Um, So er, much earlier in this episode. Now we said that this was a game about a religion and this is kind of what you find out. And this is what Yuna, the, the most devout character, but also Waka, and the rest of the party has to deal with basically learning the entire thing is a lie. It's interesting. Like you, Yevon himself really doesn't get developed as a character, uh, despite driving the way that the world functions. Um, mm-hmm. like the only details that you get are actually from like the text description of Bahamut's, uh, aeon uh or sorry bahamut's faith and and then like you hear about him from dialogue with uh unaleska and with machen you can get a bunch more so this was the thing i was going to say is once you get out of here and you go talk to bahamut to find out what that at that point you can go back into all of the other chambers of the faith and talk to all of the other faith to find out about the past and that's where Mm. you also learn more about you yevon Okay, okay. And that's why you gotta do all the puzzles twice. Oof. Woof. Because you can't just go straight to the Chamber of the Faith. Right. That's so, that's so interesting. And it's also, it really, I mean, you've, you've, you've called it out in the notes, Dave, but, um, something that we didn't really talk about is how, um, one of the big tenets of the Yevon religion is that it was machinery, it was machina. That's what, like the sin that sin cleanses that's what the punishment is is like oh we get to a certain level of technology and we all become like selfish assholes who are living in luxury and sin is there to destroy it all and the reason why they hate the albed is because the albed just freely use machina Um, their lightning guns are too cool their lightning Mm -hmm. guns are too cool and that means that like they're gonna they're they're the ones who are driving sin to reappear but 
you get hints that that's kind of a lie very early on. Like when you're riding the shoe puff and uh, Yuna gets temporarily abducted by the Albed and gets dragged into the ocean, eventually so, uh, one of them, I don't remember which party member is like, well, but doesn't, don't, don't we use Machina too? And Waka's like, yeah, only approved Machina. Only yeah, right. the Tina says that. Because Tinas right. is the only guy who's like, yeah, uh, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. And As- Waka's, Waka's response is like, Baka, obviously there are wholly approved Machina and then Sin Machina. And like, as you're like going over this super wide river, like the Thames basically, and there's an entire ruined like future city underneath it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. But then you also learn at a point that... Not only do the rules not make sense, but then the people that are basically running the religion are just not following any of the rules. They're using whatever machines they want to use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, what that means is that, like, if the thing that they're atoning for is a lie, then obviously, like, the ultimate, like, oh, we're going to get to a spot where total atonement happens, that also can't happen. Like. Yeah. It, they're they're going to perpetuate the cycle forever. There will not be a final summoner, even though that's what everyone is looking for. And it's the this, only way to repeat the cycle. This is a mistake the real of religions don't make is real religions don't say you can ever get rid of your original sin. Yes, but like um, apocalyptic cults do. Um, yeah. And th- so this is it's 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 like a combination of Catholicism and um, an apocalypse cult. Essentially, it's like Heaven's Gate p- plus Christianity. <laughs> So let's, I'm going to tie it forward a little bit. And the reason it's like that is because this is the same religion that has been around since actual Xanarkin. And Yu Yevin is the Maester Micah from back then and is also the guy. He's the reason that Titus is a dream, right? Because he is the summoner for the entire fake Xanarkin that he lived in, mm-hmm. which is why Titus is basically functionally an Aeon. Okay. Interesting. Okay. That is super interesting. And like, mechanically speaking, he functions that way. Like he's he gets the water sword. He's the only person who like is spec to be elemental by default. And he's of the element you don't get, which is what I think is also cool. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's just like it taking a, a minute to process because that is that's like, a lot. It, it's, it's a, a lot, lot but that it's is hidden behind doing the worst content in the game twice. <laughs> yeah, that and also it's it's. Like they do explain, they give you an explanation for what Titus is and why he's there and how he was able to time travel. But they tell you that basically it's a dream put forth by the faith that are sleeping and they this they're using the extent of their power to like project Titus into this world. That has to be a weird translation to me, because when you get up to the mountain, like it's clearly just like the biggest summoning you've ever seen. Right. Well, and so it's 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 important for podcast listeners because this is an audio format. There is a proper noun in this game called the faith and it's with right. a y. Uh and it's not a proper noun in that like it's capitalized every time, but it is a specific Final Fantasy thing that is which is confusing in audio because also the game is about the nature of faith with an i, but um <laughs> Faith are kind of like monumentals from Demon Souls in that they are they are statues that have perpetually alive humans 
in them that are constantly dreaming in order to kind of like fuel the life stream uh, this game's version of the life stream they're the ones that are like keeping the spirit world alive through their dreaming right i have bad news the life stream is also real in this game as we find out in 10 2 but (laughs) (laughs) um you we didn't talk about earlier we've said this a lot there's so much fucking stuff to talk about in this game one of yuna's jobs aside from going on this pilgrimage is to go to places where people have died and perform like ascending ceremony to like send their life force back into like the life stream for lack of a better final fantasy 10 term and if they don't they say they turn into monsters another interesting thing about the leaders of the church is that they all died a long time ago and were never sent. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing happened with Oren. Oren is basically dead the whole time. But it was just kind of cool where like the leaders of the church are all basically undead, and uh, you can just rule over the living forever because you're not bound by uh, lifespans anymore. That right. includes Seymour, everyone else, uh, basically all the leaders of uh, the Yevon religion. Seymour was notably alive until you hung until he tried to hang out with you at Makalani. And by hang out with you, I mean threaten your life, but also. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that there I'm not sure if it's intentional or not, but there is a there is a metaphor there where, you know, the leaders of the religion are all like ancient and dead and we're still following them even though the world has changed and the world should adapt and move on and and there are these institutional powers that are also personified that are forcibly keeping the world back because otherwise they have to give up their power and then might as well die and be sent um and the other thing is that you know um the reason why the sending is so important is that these pyreflies that represent these people's like life force, uh, it's like considered, you know, akin to hell or a very bad version of purgatory if you don't get sent. But you know, if you are the leader of a of a religion, then you're not going to just be like wandering around the world and potentially like have to turn into some sin spawn monster because you weren't sent. Mm-hmm. You gotta imagine if the Pope gets turned into like a bird that gets killed by Waka. (laughs) (laughs) Just a really unfortunate draw by the the Pope. Yeah. It's just all of these things combined. um, I mean, this game, I think, is fairly unique among at least the series for taking on the idea of religion uh, as like one of its central themes. But I, I think that like the way they've like creatively and cohesively put it all together like all of this makes a lot of sense once you learn what's going on it's real tidy there's like nothing that's like thematically just dangling exactly there's there's nothing that they introduce that they don't really wrap up again it avoids the pitfall that a lot of these games have where like at the last second they suddenly increase the scope a ton Mm -hmm. like you you're on the quest to kill sin for most of the game. And then at the end of the game, you learn there's like an extra step you have to do. And then you go do that. But it makes sense in the context of your quest to kill sin. Yeah. 
I would say that the other two Final Fantasy games or subseries that deal most directly with religion are both messier, uh, and that is Final Fantasy Tactics, which you know the whole it, it, like there there is a church conspiracy, but it it's much more grounded and also takes some weird ass swings at the end that that that, that have this like bad god escalation problem. Um, that's not a spoiler for Final Fantasy Tactics, as much as it sounds like one. Uh, listeners who haven't played Final Fantasy Tactics, I promise. And then the other one, the Thirteen series, cares a lot about religion and the way that religion has been warped, like what the actual gods are versus what people tell folks the gods are. But all of that shit is in Thirteen proper. Is just in like text descriptions that you have to go into a menu and read, and it doesn't start actually engaging in that stuff until the sequels. And it's very different because it's they might be literal gods, but they're like gods in the way that like your cell phone could be a god. Sure, sure. Right. Yeah. Like it's like imbued with like the spirit of how long you hang out with it. And then yeah. eventually that becomes powerful because everyone has the same cell phone or whatever. Right, right. Very right. cool. Very different. Yeah. I don't know. I think this game does like a really good job in the way that it sets up and then pays off and explains how these religious leaders have basically set up an unwinnable situation for everybody. Like mm-hmm. I got the sense that it, correct me if I'm wrong, but sin does not have to be doing this. They're, they're letting this cycle like perpetuate. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There's an interesting gap where it doesn't always have to have been fake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Given that what happens to Xanarkand originally is basically the start of a holy war with another religion. And they barely survive and the other side is wiped out. So like it doesn't start fake, but becomes fake at some point. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you Yevon leaves and he says, oh, my city is destroyed. I need to keep all these people alive. Oh, if I somehow die, everyone I ever knew is gone forever. Guess I need to make this giant monster armor to live in. And then everyone else over time adapts to that because for them, that comes out of nowhere, basically. Mm-hmm. So like it gets grafted on to this existing thing. Right. In like a right. really weird way, because basically it's a splinter sect of Yevon taking over Yevon. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. All the details in this game are good just stuff. so good. It's so good. good. Yeah. Uh, good news. Good news. Final Fantasy X 2, the same thing, but it carries on with Final Fantasy X is the setup for this. And now what does that entire world do now? And it's a whole exactly. game about it. And yeah. it rocks. Now that, that now that all of this is gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. that people can have fun again. I guess the, the last like big thing, and like this is the big conclusion of the game too, is that because Titus is uh, said to be a projection or Titus is an Aeon, as you said, Chris, when you defeat Yu Yevon, then Titus is going to disappear. And this is kind of like the emotional climax, or the emotional conclusion of the game. So you kind of go into this last thing. You you now know that Yuna is probably not going to die, but you're still not probably not going to get like this happy ending, or at least like you think it's not possible. I do like that you start the last dungeon, by the way, with punching your dad in the mouth. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the boss fight, is you just hit him in the mouth a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speak cathartic. I keep thinking, like, when we talk about all this, you know, fighting your dad and stuff, my mind immediately goes to the movie Hot Rod, if mm-hmm. either of you have seen <laughs> that. 
I've seen that movie in the last three months. A movie about beating up your dad. Yeah. But yeah, that that final scene when, like I said, spoilers, when the spoiler section, they don't figure out a way to keep Titus around. And he disappears and Yuna runs to uh, give him a hug after it's done. And she just kind of passes through him and falls down. Great. Every fucking time. Yeah. yeah every time oh mm-hmm. my god it it hurts and this is it's maybe like it, they they provide some background plot justification for it but it, it, if you're like it might feel a little manipulative or shoehorned in just from like a from like a top level view of the thing but it works i mean it really it, it like something that i love about the game that i didn't really talk about because it was spoiler adjacent even though it's not necessarily spoilery is that this game has real costs and it and it grapples with the weight of people we've lost the whole time like mm-hmm. you know we see sin attack a village multiple times and that village is devastated and people are talking about all the people who have died and it's unique for jrpgs which usually have these enormous stakes but those stakes don't always have weight to them because you can't feel the dead and like even at the smallest level, like in that first town, you're like, oh, a treasure chest. And then when you open it, this old lady walks up and she's like, yeah, that's my husband and his family. They all died in the re- most recent sin attack. So I guess you could have their stuff. Right, right. A hundred percent. And so and so Titus ceasing to exist, I think, ties that full circle. And, you know, it. it, it I, I, I know... Dave, you raised it as a question because, not because you were like anti, but because you were really actually grappling with it. And and I can see how it can kind of feel like a bit of an of 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 a manipulative gut punch. But but like the performances and the arc of the game just really really sell it for me. Right. It doesn't help that it has like the best possible remix of Two Xanarkin there, that like really big, sad orchestral swell, like when Yuna just falls through Titus. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I had, because I was kind of grappling with whether, you know, this Titus is a dream thing was, some, was a plot point that was created so that he would conveniently have a reason to disappear when this was over. Because we, we had really no indication of that for a while like it seemed like he just time traveled which is you know you want to explain that sin's magic can time travel people like i was ready to believe that but i I eventually came around to thinking like i liked that you know using what the game told me that titus is a a dream manifested by the faith that that shows that the faith actually do have real power Mm-hmm. And that I eventually came around to thinking, no, it's actually good that that was their explanation because it lent strength to the rest of the world building in a way I thought was cool. It's also just like a much more like dramatically interesting and satisfying ending than most isekais have where a lot of isekai stories, you know, kind of person transported into a totally unfamiliar world stories Mm. end up either with the person just returning home. And then the sadness is like, Oh, well I won't be able to go back there again, but you know, I'm home doing my normal life. Or they're like, you know what? I'm going to stay in this world because I am literally the most powerful person who has ever existed in this world. (laughs) And to, and to flip that to be like, oh, if I complete this, if I if I do all of the things that I was brought here to do, then 
that's it for me. And I've been trying to grapple with the fact that it's going to be it for the person I love. And actually, I'm I'm the person who's going to die. Uh, really, it I it, it's it's clever. It, uh, it it's very clever. I really thought you were going to say, and I'm the person I love. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very like Tina's energy, to be fair. Yeah. Mm, yeah. This is his story, after all. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got three unrelated stray thoughts in my notes that didn't really feel appropriate to bring up. And they're not necessarily spoiler wall things, but I do want to call them out. Sure. Um, with regards to how holistically complete the world building is the large fairies are powered by chocobos on hamster wheels and i love that so much (laughs) yeah and you can hear them like two rooms away and it gets progressively louder as you go through the ship (laughs) yeah um related to that um the fact that the chocobos also died in operation Meehan, and so the chocobo knights are like really fucked up about that that hurt me um i love the running gag through the first half of the game of whenever titus says too much about xanderkin he can fall back on uh oh i just got too close to sin so my brain's all messed up and they keep doing that it like stops being funny and then they do it enough times that it is funny again and finally uh the single most racist thing that waka says is when he calls Albed sandblasted grease monkeys. Yep. Oh, that yeah. Is just, <laughs> cool. that, that, that is as close as a rated T game in 2001 can get to saying an actual, like, horrible slur. Yep. It's fine. I worked in a gas station in Pennsylvania when 9-11 happened. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. How do we feel? Yeah. All right. Here's some unrelated thoughts. How do we feel about the cool Macarena joke that's in the game? Oh my god, I rolled my eyes so hard. Because <laughs> there's a town called Macalania, and yep. Titus mishears it, and then after saying Macarena, Waka goes, I? That's so fucking good. I love oh, Owaka. I love him a lot. Uh-huh. And we didn't really talk about him, but like the fireflies to me are extremely cool. Like as like a visual representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like it's very, it's like the first indication that you have that what everyone here believes in is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the way that gets used in that scene after the Kilika attack is like really fucking strong. Might be one of my favorite cutscenes in any video game is the, the one where sending Yuna does sending the sending. Yeah, it's it's. I was just gonna say that's a really really good cutscene. Still looks yeah. incredible to this day. I was going to say, yeah, when you brought up the sins toxin thing, um, it made me laugh at the beginning when Riku is like, whatever you do, don't tell people you're from Xanarkand. Mm-hmm. And then like 15 seconds later, they're like, where are you from? I'm from Xanarkand. Or like, yeah. what team do you play for? The Xanarkand Abes. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. The, sin, the team sin is named toxin. Abes. Do better. <laughs> all, dude, all of the Blitzball team names are ridiculous. Yeah. But the Kilika... The Luka be, goers. The goers. The yeah. Kilika beast is real. That's not that far off from the fucking Seattle Kraken or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's fair. true. Yeah, but the Aurochs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, random thought that's not here really quick. Sorry. Last thought is, did you still have scan on? Dur- have you ever had scan on during the ending? Because I no. know you were talking. We were, we were ta- if you have scan on during the ending, when you fight all of your aeons, they all have text in the box that says something along the lines of, please kill me. Ooh. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did oh. see that. 
brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, another thing we just kind of like breezed past. But yeah, that part where you kill all your aeons and yeah. You release all of the faith, like there, which is like good. Because if they hadn't done this, the direction of Ten Two could be really different. Because like the religion still exists, just in a diminished way at that point. Mm-hmm. Because like the faith are still active. Right. Right. I guess the last miscellaneous thing that I want to talk about is I think it's a hilarious and confident move to bring back Otherworld for the fight against Jekt at the end. Yeah, you fight rocks. your dad. You're gonna listen to some fucking like, like you said mud vein while you uh-huh. do it uh-huh. and then he turns into that huge monster that rules yep. yeah pulls yeah. a sword out of his chest even even if you don't like the song it's an excellent implementation of that song yeah <laughs> the perfect soundtrack to fight your dad <laughs> god okay can you imagine when they make final fantasy 10 3 which will inevitably happen but they have the but fucking they soak gets to do all of his dumb guitar music for it oh, yeah. it's gonna be oh. so good <laughs> yeah yeah Soken is a much better composer of rock music for jrpgs than um than uematsu is but it is corny it is just as corny but in different ways mm. but in a way i like yeah i also <laughs> like it also you could have just left it off at composer you know sure. this is true i would have agreed with you all right, so that sounds like Final Fantasy X to me. So uh, thank you both for taking what is now uh, close to three hours to talk about this with me. I had a feeling um, this game has a lot to talk about. It's also a game that means a lot to me personally, so I, I knew that I would want to give it justice. So thank you both for uh, joining in this. Yeah, thanks for having us. This was a great time. And yeah, it, it means a lot to me too. So I'm really happy that you asked you asked me on. Me also. I'll try to get that. Maybe I'll put that thing up on my website if I'm not lazy and then link you to it. Okay. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. great. Love I really it. I love that piece. Nice. Um, so I will give another recommendation at the end of the show for everyone who likes JRPGs to check out Lightning Strikes Thrice. And uh, yeah, what else? I forgot how to end my show. Yeah. Tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog. <laughs>